welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol, Matt, and Mel! And we are a bunch of Hoopleheads. And joining us today, very special guest, please welcome to the program, Harold. Yay, Hi! Harold. Hey, Harold! Thank you. <laughs> so, Harold, I always ask uh, our guests, well, always, we've had two so far, <laughs> but what is your experience with Deadwood? I uh, watched it for the first time about a year ago, so I'm, I'm a recent viewer. I, I'd always wanted to watch it, and I remember when the, there was a trailer for it years ago, but it uh, just wasn't the right time to watch it. So when it was, when it was added to the Amazon Prime shows, I, I kind of devoured it real quickly, and I think right as I was around uh, episode one or two of season two, you announced you were going to have this podcast, and at that point, it was too late for me to, to wait. <laughs> it was flat ahead. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, no, Harold, stop. Oh, no, he's too far gone. <laughs> From what uh, the feedback that you've sent in to Intro to Briscoe, the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. intro cast, I got the impression that you'd seen a lot of Westerns and that this is kind of your genre. Yeah, it seems like Is that fair to say? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm a movie buff, and uh, there are a lot of movies that are Westerns, if you go back at least, you know, from the 1960s and before, but I certainly have seen seen a lot of westerns, you know, all the John Ford ones, uh, Anthony Mann, Bud Bedecker. I'm I'm very familiar with with the uh, genre. I would say that Deadwood though is not anything like your typical western. Certainly not from the classic Hollywood you know style. In what way? Without spoiling us, if you can. <laughs> well, I mean the typical westerns there, there are many different types of westerns i mean it's not really it's, it's a very wide-ranging genre but typically they involve being out on the plains uh you have a lot, a lot to do with uh cattlemen versus ranchers and and you have indians and uh here you're you're mostly contained in deadwood there, there are a few scenes outside of deadwood um but it, it's mostly stays within the town and it's it, a lot of it is inside a lot of it as you see it's inside one saloon or another or or, or the hotel rooms the dialogue as well it, it becomes so shakespearean that it <laughs> it hasn't really quite started yet i think even within a few episodes if i remember correctly you're going to start hearing even more you know verbose uh dialogue than what you've heard so far yeah, if you thought it was wordy now, just wait. <laughs> what changes? Does a new character come in who's extra wordy? They tend to monologue more, I think, as the show goes on. And, oh. Yeah. Oh. Really? A lot of uh, soliloquies. Yeah, oh, yeah. In Seriously? Fact, we almost yeah. had one this episode with Alma, but it kind of got interrupted by Jane. But if you take out her line, it was a pretty long hmm. speech. So do they, like, hold somebody's skull in their hand and talk to it? <laughs> Probably spoilery. Yeah, probably <laughs> spoilery to say. But they don't actually look at the camera. Let's just say they just look off in the distance, correct, or something. Um, they, are they talking to somebody? Sometimes or? they talk. To, they talk to somebody, though. It's almost like they're talking to themselves, and the other person's not there. Kind of like okay. in that Alma Jane scene. Yeah. Oh, so they they pull a uh, Frank Underwood. <laughs> well, Frank talks to the camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah they talk. Yeah. No, they talk. They sort of talk. To them, they talk to other characters, but it's almost like they that other person could not be there, and they'd still have this conversation. And yeah. then there are some characters who do just talk to themselves out loud. And yes, there is a point where a character has conversations with a head in a box. I don't think that's too spoilery, but oh, I can't wait. So yeah, you know, going off from what Harold was saying, because I hadn't really thought about about this subject, 
But one of the things that you had a tendency to have in Westerns is you had a lot of strong, silent types. And you didn't have a lot of, of very eloquent people in, in most of the old Westerns. And even when they got grittier later on after, you know, the kind of the antithesis of the John Wayne thing and you got into the Clint Eastwood movies, they got even less verbal. That's true. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. They, they let their guns do the talking. Yeah, yeah. So Harold had some really good points because you don't have a lot of the the um, horses galloping across the, the plains. I mean, you had a little bit of, you know, going through the hills, but nobody was galloping. And, yeah. you know. The one series of films that is, has some similarities are the films that a uh, director named Bud Bedecker made with Randolph Scott in the 50s, where he made a, a series of movies that are uh, tend to have just a few characters, and there's a lot of shifting alliances. You know, there's someone who may be a bad guy, someone who may be a lawman, someone who may be a bounty hunter, and and for one part of the movie, you know, these two are together, then then another person comes in, and then they're together, and then they're they're going to double cross. And there's a is, you know that that's the closest thing, but it doesn't have this type of grand dialogue or or the the depth of of emotions, um, and it certainly doesn't have the grittiness that Deadwood has. Harold, I don't know. I I think I may have asked the rest. Did you ever see um, Little Big Man from back in the seventies? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm you know familiar that it was, it was one of those revisionist westerns. So yeah, it was it was more a a combination of humor and uh, drama. You know, very mixed, and uh, it actually did deal with what this episode dealt with, um, only in a you know a different tone. They showed me that movie in school. Really? <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good movie. I like that movie. But anyway. All right. Well, we'll get into it. I've been told that our episodes run long. I really <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. I think it's fine. I don't know. But all right. So we're gonna start with our readers theater segment. This time we have some not articles, but. Advertisements read to us by Robin. These come from the Black Hills Daily Times on August 5th, 1876 and July 10th, 1877. Hall Safe and Lock Company, manufacturers of Hall's Patent, Bank Safes, County Safes, Merchant Safes, Jewelers Safes, Parlor Safes, Express Safes, and Vault Work. Over 72,000 of these safes are now in use by bankers and merchants throughout the country. Parties wishing to purchase the best safe in the market are invited to call and examine our immense stocks or send for price lists to Hall Safe and Lock Company, Chicago. <laughs> New Sawmill! Two and a half miles from Deadwood on the New Centennial Road to Crook City known as Oak Flats. I intend to sell lumber. <laughs> cash prices, and will grade and sort it at my mill, and will deliver it at Deadwood and other points at reasonable figures. Special stipulations give the extra length of dimension, Evo and proprietor. <laughs> City me market. I shout it, proprietor. Keeps the best of all kinds of meat at wholesale and retail. Opposite theater, Deadwood City. C.H. Wagner Proprietor, formerly of the Walker House and Rock Restaurant, Salt Lake City. To accommodate my many patrons, I will soon enlarge by building another story to the Grand Central. My tables will be found supplied with the best the market affords, it being my object to make this the first-class hotel of 
Deadwood City. I've brought the Black Hills the best bedroom furniture in Western Dakota, and will give special attention to the lodging department. Feathers, hair, and puffy mattresses, blankets, <laughs> quilts, bedspreads, etc. All new and of the best quality. Patrons will, I trust, feel my charges are reasonable for the accommodations afforded. The bar will be supplied with wines, liquors, and cigars of the very finest brands. Cheyenne Leader and Salt Lake Tribute, please come. Lathe work and gas fitting done by a practical machinist at J.B. Pearson's Quartz Mill Central City, Lawrence County, Dakota, and all were guaranteed. Parties having weighing to do in large quantities can have it done by applying at the above-named mill, as I am prepared with a six-ton house scale. J.B. Pearson. Miller and McPherson, wholesale grocers, corner of Main and Wall Street, Deadwood, D.T., the largest stock kept on hand in the hills of groceries, mining tools, iron and steel, giant powder, hazard blasting powder, etc. Nicely done. Nicely. Thank you, Robin. I'm worried about you, Robin. You sound like <laughs> multiple personality disorder. <laughs> uh, is that a spoiler? Isn't the Grand Central uh, EB's hotel? Does he no longer? It is. Uh, at some point? See, here, here's the thing. I don't know if EB actually owned that hotel or another hotel. Or, oh, okay. He's, he's one of those weird kind of composite characters. I think we talked about how yeah. he's... Much very different than how the show depicts him. Yes, he's not a sniveling toady. <laughs> right. He's more of a he's an entrepreneur, a businessman about town, but he's not he's not how the, the Deadwood depicts him. Also, there is a Bella Union saloon. It's owned by a guy named Tom Miller, not Tolliver. Tolliver's like another composite. Well, let's get into the episode. Unless anyone has any further notes about those advertisements. No. <laughs> no, but they were pretty amazing. <laughs> that that last character that Robin did sounded like the old uh the old man from um Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Young Fred. The <laughs> <laughs> blue meanies are coming. <laughs> Alright, this is episode 4 of season 1, Here Was a Man, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff, directed by Alan Taylor, original air date, April 11th, 2004. Elizabeth Sarnoff, by the way, is probably known, best known for 18 or 19 episodes of Lost. Oh, good ones or bad ones? <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She wrote the, what is considered, well, possibly the worst episode, Stranger in a Strange Land. The one where we find the origin of Jack's tattoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, it is night in the camp, the same night as the previous episode, so I want to say it's probably around, oh, four in the morning, maybe, three in the morning. We're at the Bella Union. Jack is dirty and gross and playing oh. poker with Wild Bill and Joni Stubbs. He's so dirty. Bill wins that hand, and he takes all of Jack's chips. Jack curses at Bill and gets, gets a stern warning from Cy about that kind of language. That's mm-hmm. when Bill slides a chip back to Jack and tells him to go get something to eat. And he said, doesn't he say something about he'll pay him back for this or something? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. did not like that. <laughs> he really did look like a mud monster, though. <laughs> but he was wearing his new suit. It it doesn't even matter. So did he legitimately lose, or was he paid to lose, or was it rigged against him, or what happened there? Uh, well, he's later saying that he had only a jack eye. When he, in a later scene, he's mumbling still about this hand. They lost it all. He had so a jack lost- eye, and um, oh. Wild Bill had a pair of fours. But they might have rigged it so that he would lose and Wild Bill would win. They oh, might that's not possible. Yeah. And I'm, but I, was, but I was wondering where the new suit came from. Yeah, I thought maybe they bought him a new suit so he'd play with Jack there and they were like paying him to lose so so Bill or yeah they're paying Jack to lose so that Bill would stay there and Jack couldn't go in there unless he had like a suit so they bought him a suit that's what I assumed but maybe not I, I don't think they want to Jack in their yeah. fancy upscale uh, emporium there okay. what's funny is that Bill plays at the Bella Union probably to kind of get away from Jack and Jack yeah. follows him in there <laughs> even though Jack hates Bill mm. it's almost like he just can't help himself yeah yeah. I actually I have an HBO question. Actually, does do do no HBO shows have cold opens? Game of Thrones has had a few, usually in their series premiere, season premiere. Okay, yeah, a couple just... times. Uh, no, True Blood always had one. Oh, okay. I've never yeah. seen that one. Six Six Feet Under did right. They had a uh, death. Okay, oh, every episode. I've never. It, had, but that never was seen. after the credits, though. That was after the main titles. Was okay. But it was kind of a, a cold open. Yeah. As far as Jack being dressed up, hasn't he been winning from Wild Bill a lot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, he should have, you know, money. He, his face is so dirty, and then he has this nice new suit. Yeah, well, he just doesn't spend anything on soap, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Why so not? The There's price. a chance you get a prize inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, Jack is not the brightest bulb in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh. Even though you could get a prize inside the soap, he still is passing on it. Maybe he bought soap, but then he got distracted by the prize inside, which was a suit. (laughs) 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 Or he just, yeah, got the prize and threw away the soup. Yes, he was just interested in the prize. There's a suit in here. It's packed really, really tight. (laughs) What do you think? Was was, uh, Wild Bill giving uh, McCall the uh, $5 chip? Was that an act of kindness or an insult? I didn't think it was an insult. Both. How could it, well, well, he took it as an insult. It's condescending. Hmm. He took it as condescending, obviously. I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure there's too much that Bill could have done that wouldn't be taken as an insult from Jack. But then again, Bill could very well have meant it as an insult, too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to know. It's not like he liked the guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> he was a person that survived by not showing what he was thinking. Yeah. While Bill, I mean, not Jack. Yeah, yeah. I've seen pictures of Jack McCall, and he's not as as nearly as ridiculously ugly as he is in this <laughs> show. He looks normal. I mean, they he had like a broken nose, and they call him like broken nose Jack or something. But he didn't look. He didn't have all droopy eyed and disgusting like they he have didn't here. Look, he didn't look like he might let out some drool at any moment, like in the show. Because <laughs> that's what he looked like. It just looked like he just might 
start drooling. Yeah. <laughs> There's a character in the first season of Boardwalk Empire. Wherever I looked at her, I felt like I could get syphilis just by looking at her, the actress. <laughs> she was so gross looking. <laughs> oh yeah, they did that on Supernatural when they when they went back to what eighteen seventy six or whenever they went back to and yes, the girl in the saloon. You definitely felt like just by being near her, you would catch something. That's so unfortunate. Did he have any claim to fame before this incident? No. Or is it just, just a random dude? This is the only reason why he's remembered, if he's remembered yep. at all. Yep. There's a link there to his photo. Looks decent. Oh yeah. my god, he looks fancy! <laughs> <laughs> you, sir! <laughs> I just feel like, yeah, that's how he would talk to Wild Bill. So that's going to make what I'm about to quote a little strange, but this is from Garrett Dillahunt, who played Jack McCall. There are some children who ask you a question, and when you answer them, they look around at everything in the room except you. That's part of what I was trying to do with Jack McCall. People described him as the ugliest man they'd ever seen. He had a crossed eye. Um, I stuffed the tip of a baby bottle up one of my nostrils to make it deformed, as if his nose got broken and healed badly. Oh, Oh, wow. I could get stuck in there. That's intense. (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh... Good job, though. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the actor is a good-looking guy. I mean, he's been on everything. Mm. He's been in well, he's been in everything. He's been, you know, he was uh, well Terminator. The so is Terminator. is his eye? His eye's not really like that, then. Huh? No, is he's a no. He's he's a normal, good-looking guy. Oh yeah, the actor's a very good-looking guy. For anyone following Will's What We Make podcast, he's going to show up on the Sarah Connor Chronicles at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's what I meant. Yeah, he shows up on there. He shows up on, uh, oh, good grief. I, it's just like piling on. He's in so many different things. So if anyone is following along with Millennium on Intro to X, he's about to appear in the season three episode closure. Oh, okay. It's probably the best part about that episode. So, all right. So outside, Seth is still building his hardware store because it's finally cool and quiet outside. And I find this odd that no one in the hotel or anywhere else is trying to sleep at this hour. Anyway, Seth apologizes to Bill for the two loud mouths earlier, then reveals his nickname as Sloth, and that he has a wife and a boy he's going to send for once he gets established. We learn that Bill's nickname is Kite, he has a circus wife in Cincinnati, and that he's just flat out tired. Which is kind of telling of where this episode went. <laughs> yeah. Well, we certainly do spend a lot of time with Bill this episode. Yeah. yeah. But just the fact that he was tired, you know, tired Mm -hmm. living, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. He also mentions uh, worried about uh, a warrant, and that uh, he mentions that soon even Deadwood's going to have laws, which I assume means they're going to have marshals, and uh, he'll be on the run again if he's concerned about these arrest warrants. Isn't it in a spot where they can't legally have laws, though? So if they did have laws, wouldn't they just be, like, self-enforced? Well, once there's a suit treaty... Then, then there'll be laws. Okay. Well, they're not part of the United States yet. Yeah, that's what I mean. They could, yes, they could self-impose laws. Yeah. I have down here that it's like we're even though it's really only a few days since the show began, seems like longer because you know episodes. But Seth and Bill are finally getting to know each other. Everybody's been thinking they know each other so well, and this is really the first time they get a chance to actually talk to each other and. And tell each other anything about themselves. Yeah. I was surprised to hear that Seth was married with a child, too. So I was wondering, where was where were they the first episode? You know, I don't think he's... He must not have seen them for quite a long time. Oh, you mean when it showed him as the sheriff? Yeah. Where were they in that? They yeah. weren't even in that. It, there was mm. no mention of it. 
So I'm just wondering, were they even there? They probably weren't. I don't know. They'd, he probably already sent them back to Michigan. Yeah. Because he was on his way. Yeah. It's too wild and untamed at this point to bring children. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But that must be kind of an awful life anyways to have to leave your family behind. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. Well, there still is a lot of that in the world, just not as much here. Mm-hmm. Now, in reality, Seth Bullock and Wild Bill probably did not know each other because the day that Seth and Saul arrived in Deadwood, August 2nd, 1876, that was the day that Jack McCall murdered Wild Bill. Oh. No way! Yeah. Wow. So if they met, they met <laughs> they must have met for like five minutes. So they got there, like. But given the size of the camp, I'm probably, I'm sure there's no way that they yeah, actually met. Yeah, unlikely. Yeah. This is all. This is all invented. So when they arrived there, there must have been some crazy day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That would have been some introduction to. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oof. Which kind of makes sense with the way. I mean, the last few days that they've been there. How long have they been there? They've been there what? Three days? Two days? Three days? It's probably been. Four, three days? It's about the same This is amount. This is like the fourth day. Fourth yeah, it's day? about the same as the episodes, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very compressed, the time. Yeah. I don't know if you guys expected it to, to be like this. No. It's so compressed. No, I didn't. I didn't. But considering how quickly the camp becomes a town, mm-hmm. in order to do this kind of show, I mean, they had to compress the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think they get telephones in, like, three years after establishing a camp. I'm oh, not wow. sure about that. Mm. This was a very crazy time because you had the old and the new meeting technologically and everything else going on. It was weird stuff like that was happening all over where one minute you had nothing and the next minute you had trains and telephones and all kinds of stuff. Things were moving very fast. How long had the camp been established like before the first episode? In reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or in this story, like how long has it been there before Bullock got there. In the, the first stagecoach arrived, oh, just as the beginning of 1876. Swearingen said something. What did he say about, I, I think it was last episode, he said something about he and Dan had come in the year before. Okay. In April or something. I don't know if I'm remembering this right because he was talking about that they had set up all of this stuff and he was talking about having been there the year before, but he, it almost sounded like he had left and come back, but I, I just wasn't sure. Hmm. I don't remember. I, I think he said he was the first um, person who, who wasn't out looking for gold. Mm. Mm. So here's the actual timeline. At the beginning of the year, Congress repealed the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. Then the first stagecoach arrived in Deadwood January 31st. A deadline passes on a U.S. government-issued ultimatum that all Indians not on the Great Sioux Reservation will be considered hostile. In spring, Sitting Bull organized a great gathering of Indians on the Northern Plains. April 9th, brothers Moses and Fred Manuel discover an outcropping of ore in what is now the Homestake Open Cut. A new mining camp called Lead City, though it's spelled Lead City, was born almost overnight. June 25th, 1876, Crazy Horse and his warriors defeat Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn. In July, Colorado Charlie Utter's wagon train brings in Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane, as well as Deadwood's first prostitutes, including Madam Dirty M and Madam Mustachio. <laughs> what? Oh, no. Uh. I, don't, I don't want to see Madam Mustachio. <laughs> Are you going to Google Madam Mustachio, though? Maybe I should. <laughs> so, and then August 2nd, that's when Jack McCall kills Wild Bill, Seth and Saul show up. 
the Bella Union opens on September 10th. So even though it opened the episode before, it actually doesn't open in reality for like another month. There's a couple other things, a couple other characters that show up in Season 3 that were actually in the camp at this point, but I guess they probably couldn't put their characters in at this point. It would have been just too crowded. No. No. I have a quote here from Robin Weigert. She says, When Bill's character was introduced, there was a descriptive paragraph in the script that said he's been sort of in a corpse state already. He has this incredible quality of being able to foresee his own death. He is such a haunting character. He is a man-killer, but he has that same divide that Jane does, of being too sensitive for the life he's led. Mm. Definitely. Mm. So, Charlie hasn't left for Cheyenne. He's too worried about Bill to leave. Bill doesn't want a prospect. Charlie can get him a mail route. (laughs) But Bill is doing what he wants to do. He's done trying to be something he's not, and he wants Charlie to accept that. Mm. So, Charlie does, and he leaves. It looks like Charlie hadn't been sleeping either, because while Bill wasn't... Because mm-hmm. he looked like he was really crazy and tired. Yeah. To just tr- try to take care of him. He, he was trying to g- get tough on Bill this time, but that didn't work either. <laughs> yeah. There's been so much foreshadowing about mm-hmm. Bill being killed at the end of this episode, or, yeah. or soon. Yeah. And it's been hard for me not to talk about it, but there's been all these instances where, like, Charlie invites uh, Seth and Salt to dinner, and it's because it's Charlie knows that time is running out. Mm-hmm. And he's just desperate to save his friend, and he just he just knows. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, he knows. If it helps, then he's been killing me, too, because just historically, I knew enough details about how Wild Bill died. It's, it's been like, I'm, I really enjoyed the character, but I have to admit, I'm glad to see him gone at this point, because <laughs> I've just been kind of waiting for it, and like, it was obvious from the beginning, Jack was the one that was going to kill him, and Mm. And all the foreshadowing and everything, keeping my mouth shut has been tough. <laughs> yeah, they've been laying the groundwork since the pilot. Yeah, if you knew anything about how Wild Bill died, you just saw the pieces going into place and going into place and going into place. I think I, think I was the only one who didn't actually know, but by the near the beginning of this episode, I had the feeling mm-hmm. Mel already knew. <laughs> Mel knew? Yeah, I happened to, well, I think kind of happened to find out. <laughs> Oh, shame on you. I know, I probably shouldn't have been reading about Wild Bill, but I was like, oh, I'm all interested now. So I started reading, I was like, oh, no, spoilers. Yeah, this, hey, and you're the one that told me not to tell you anything. This is the I know, I, I shouldn't have done that. that. I did some historical stuff about what happens to one of the characters, and you were like, don't tell me, don't tell me. I was that, like, I'm not going to. That didn't lessen, that. I, I don't think that lessened the... How good this episode was, though, for me. Yeah. No, it didn't. I thought the episode was really good, but... There's this television trope where when they really focus on a character, you know that by the end they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That happens in Walking Dead all the time. Yeah, it's too bad. (laughs) And you have just a scene like this one here with Charlie, the way he he leaves that hotel room without looking back at Bill, and you just know he's never going to see Bill again. (sighs) So sad. I feel so bad for Charlie. (laughs) Harold, did you know Wild Bill's history? Before you watch this? Generally. I didn't know specifically that he died in Deadwood, but I knew all about, uh, you know, having taking a seat um, with your back to the front door. And so the moment he sat down in that seat, I knew it was all, all over. <laughs> yep. Yep. Everybody always said Bill always sat with his back to the wall. So a lot of people felt like it was done, that he did it on purpose. He wanted to die. Probably didn't think it would be that quick. <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna 
put my defenses down. Bang! Oh, that was quick! <laughs> I, I'm not sure that he would would have been all that surprised. <laughs> so do you guys think he wanted to die? I think he was ready. It, it, it may have been, you know, as I say, there's an awful lot of people who, who pointed out that Bill Hickok never sat with his back to a door. Ever. He also, also kind of like put on like a ceremonial sash for his pistols. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, I think he knew he was going to die that day because he wrote that letter to his wife, which is an actual letter, and I'll read a little bit from it later. But if you visit Deadwood, you can watch the reenactment of Jack McCall shooting Wild Bill and then okay. being chased through the street. Oh! In fact, I just found a video on YouTube, Wild Bill assassination reenactment. That's oh, terrifying. Wow. That's morbid. Terrifying it's morbid. Is, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah but so are those Civil I, War reenactments. Like, I don't think I saw that when I was in Deadwood. <laughs> oh. I, I did see the place. I believe I saw the place and everything, but I don't think they were reenacting. Or if they were, I did not stay for it. I'll yeah. watch this video later and post it on the Facebook group if it's any good. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, now it's dawn, and Al is in EB's office. EB would like to know why Al wants him to buy out Brom's worthless claim. Al tells him he'd rather lose $20,000 than have to deal with the Pinkertons. Al sees Dan approach with Brahms' corpse draped over his horse. I thought that was so telling that Swearingen is covering himself, even with his toadies, so that, I mean, he's acting like he doesn't expect the guy to be dead. Well, E.B.'s shown, shown he can't be trusted fully, so... Right, right. And I guess it's one of those things, if, if he makes E.B. think that he didn't know about it, then E.B. would pass around to the rest of the town. He's like town gossip type thing. He also says later that E.B. is too busy thinking about how much he can skim from mm -hmm. what Al's going to offer to Alma than to mm -hmm. contemplate anything else, like Brahm and whether or not the claim is or is not worthless. Yeah. E.B.'s too small time. At the hotel, Alma is also looking out the window. She takes a drink of laudanum. She goes outside. She tells E.B. to fetch the doctor, so she might hear the doc's opinion on how Brahm sustained these injuries. Then she snaps at E.B. and asks Dan, Was this indeed a tragic turn? Dan has difficulty looking her in the eyes, but reveals nothing. Mm. I like how she confronted him. I really liked her. I really liked Alma in this episode. She's going to get sober and become kick-ass, I tells you. I hope so. <laughs> I, I think E.B. kind of pushed her over the edge when the first thing, one of the first things out of his mouth was to, uh, they offered to get the doctor to bring her, her, uh, her narcotics. Yeah. You know, she knew that they were trying to drug her and, and uh, you know, pull the wool over her eyes. Yeah. And he just underlined that. She had seen this coming. She she'd known that he was he was playing a very dangerous game. And uh yeah. This episode had a commentary with Molly Parker and Keith Carradine, and Molly Parker says that she played her scenes as though Alma had experienced visions of Brahm's fate while taking the laudanum, and that she had sat up all night expecting her husband to die. Hmm. Then when she was outside, she was thinking, I'm standing barefoot in the mud, and I hope this donkey doesn't fucking kick me. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's a sign uh, in the background on a table that reads, Fresh baked bread, 30 cents. Old bread, 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> that shitty old bread. Does, uh, does Keith Carradine's... Does he, like... Do his characters die in everything they do? Curious now, because I'm just trying to I'm just trying to remember what I've seen him in. Because I've seen him in Dexter. He died in that. Mm. Oh no, spoilers! I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not gonna watch. Who doesn't die in Dexter? Um, what? what? 
I said, who doesn't die in Dexter? <laughs> yeah, everybody dies. And then he dies in this. I, what else has he been in? No. He was in nothing? No. Well, he's been no. a lot of stuff. <laughs> what a weird career to be in like three shows, yeah. big shows, and not be in anything else. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of movies. He was in the first season of Fargo. And then he died? And then he died? I'm not going to say. Well, he probably dies. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have seen Fargo, so. But the character that he plays in that is going to be in the second season. They're doing like a prequel, and his character is going to be played by Patrick Wilson. He's also been in a lot of stuff. Al appreciates Dan's loyalty regarding the claim. Dan is very humble because he knows when he's out of his depth. And this is when Al says that he doesn't think E.B. suspects the claim is good because E.B. is too busy scheming what he can steal as a go-between. <laughs> And I have some quotes here from W. Earl Brown. He says, What was Dan doing before he came to Deadwood? He was an animal walking upright in the woods. He was a thief in the forest. He was a road agent. He'd rob and steal whatever he wanted. Encountering Al, at first it's like, Oh, this is a smarter dog. I can learn to steal more if I listen to him. And with that comes feeling a connection to someone else, which he probably never felt before, which set him on the road to becoming his own man. I think that's been behind the relationship all along, that Al is grooming Dan to become his own man. Where Al sees the forest, Dan only sees trees. Hmm. Uh, speaking of EB trying to get his own skim or go go between fee or whatever, like just last episode, he was nearly killed by Al. In this episode, he's pushing his luck so hard, so many times. Mm. <laughs> it's hard to believe that Al doesn't have any other way of, of proposing an offer to the widow that he could have just written a letter and had someone hand deliver it to her. Mm. Well, he does know he has E.B. kind of, well, scared enough to listen to him, but maybe not scared well, enough to... Well, he's not doing what he asks. He's, no. like, altering he's deals so again. He's so slimy. And like, he's the slimiest character. He's like, how much am I going to get paid, Al? And this is this is a lot for me to say that E.B. is slimier than Al. And <laughs> Al is really slimy. Yeah, it's true, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, they made him physically slimy because he sweats all the time and he has damp palms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is the first time I really noticed that like, his coat is, like, Patched up, yeah, it's and, all and ripped in the back. Yeah, I never noticed that. It's like moths got to it or something. <laughs> I somehow have a feeling that things were done much more personally rather than through notes. If you're in the same proximity to someone, you would send someone or you talk to them face to face. I would think, though, in a case like this where you you have a recently widowed woman who's maybe of a different class. The now that I could see him proposing a uh, a sale by letter and having it hand delivered. Mm -hmm. Inside his cabin, Doc begins to examine Brahm's corpse. Sorry, I loved it when the doctor went to pick up the corpse. He was like walking with purpose, kind of like all kind of hunchbacked almost. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's, maybe he's just. He so seems rickety. For some yeah, reason. yeah. In this episode, I part of me was like, "Gee, is he bending down that low because he he's really beset by the cares of the world, or is it that they really wanted to get that shot underneath the horse and they <laughs> camera down quite low enough, unless he stooped." I always get the sense that he's hung over every morning. Yeah. At night yeah. he has to drink his, you know, yeah. his concerns away, and then in the morning he's just, he just staggers out into the, oh, what's going on? I've never seen him drink. Didn't we, haven't we seen him drink? I haven't. I haven't noticed. I didn't think he was a drinker. Maybe he will. Okay. What else is there to do in Deadwood at night? Yeah, you're right. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly looks like he has drunk a lot over the, you know, he's got that, 
not the puffy drunk look, but the the saggy drunk look. You yes, know, the, yeah. he's just exhausted. There's so many prostitutes to check out. Yeah, he's definitely there's an exhaustion factor there. In the first episode, Al says to Doc, "You drink free tonight if you don't spread any word that Trixie shot that guy." He's oh, yeah. like, "That wouldn't have come for me," but he said, "You know, you drink free, so yeah, mm-hmm. he must he must drink." I don't yeah. know if he drinks in excess, but yeah. again, get, what else is there to do? I don't know. You also get the feeling that this guy has seen an awful lot of horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Did did they say he was he was in the war or not? Yes. He yeah, was okay. Civil war. A medic, oh, I don't know if they like, said it, but he was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. I imagine every able bodied man was. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're a doctor, you'd be mm. helping out. I wonder if he was a doctor before he came to the war or but they yeah. said, you look capable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he taught himself. I don't know. Capable with the saw. Start sawing off those legs, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's rough. So mm. it's morning. Seth tells Saul about Brom. Saul is impressed by the amount of construction Seth has accomplished. <laughs> during the middle of the night, disturbing everyone who was trying to sleep. <laughs> In the hotel dining room, Merrick is unimpressed by the slop he has for breakfast. So gross. Can I go back to the, sorry, to the scene with Seth and Saul? Seth has really patchy chest hair, and it goes right up to his clavicles. And I just found that interesting, because men's chest hair patterns are like a snowflake. No two are alike. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> and it's not even like a criticism. Like, it, it was fine. It's fine. It's chest hair. Oh, yeah. but Although I... <laughs> it's a I, fine set of chest hair. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I kind of thought it was... It was for the pattern and everything. It was kind of short. I was wondering whether they they <laughs> trimmed it bit myself. <laughs> okay, it's time for a poll here. Uh, either either Matt, did you pay any attention to this? Well, I had to oh, smell which Matt. <laughs> either of you, uh, both of you. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Humphrey. I, I'm guessing that this is something that uh, neither none of us guys noticed. But <laughs> I didn't until Mel Mel brought it up. That kind of forced me to to look. <laughs> You didn't want to look at his chest? You're like, oh, avert my eyes. Oh, I saw oh. his chest, but I didn't focus on his chest hair until you brought it up. Well, I just noticed because it was cutting it right to the clavicles. And I was like, <laughs> I've never seen that. It's fascinating. Oh, I've, I've definitely seen that. But usually a guy with that kind of chest hair usually has more of it. And I, it made me think, huh, I wonder if they trimmed it a little bit. If, if you know, Probably. Probably. You know, if, if he's got like... A lot more, and and he they said, like, eh, we don't really want this just mass of hair. We'll trim it. He might be because like I know a, they they yeah. shave a lot of kids, a lot of guys' chest hair on a lot of this stuff nowadays. Yeah, but I mean, it you know, uh, nobody shaved their chest hair back then, so you kind of well, have to have some chest hair. <laughs> yeah, well, it was considered virile, you know, up until very recently. Chest hair on a guy was not a you know not a big deal, but. Yeah. Lately, I guess because they want everybody to look very androgynous on TV or something, they they've been you know like just shaving it and and all of that. Yeah, I will say that I felt he looked a little gaunt. Maybe maybe that's too harsh of a word, but like I could see his ribs or something. Mm-hmm. He's a wiry guy. Yeah, he was very wiry. Yeah, he strikes me as uh, fit, fit, but almost like he's the kind of guy like he would go home and his mom would say, "We got to put some meat on those bones." <laughs> You're but not eating enough. Eat this porridge, you'll stick to your ribs. I, I know guys with that, that build, and usually they're very, very strong, but they're basically like all just muscles like and bone, and that's it. I will say that on the commentary, Molly Parker said something like, nothing wrong with that. 
<laughs> What's the newspaper guy's name again? Merrick. Merrick. A.W. Merrick. Right. He seems to always be wanting a story, and he never seems to get one. <laughs> so he's like got a big blank newspaper. <laughs> It's just filled filled with advertisements. I guess, yeah. <laughs> well, no one says that he isn't writing the stories. He's just not getting interviews and not it's getting like, quotes. It's from like people. it's like a tabloid newspaper. He's just hearing gossip and he's writing about he just it. Makes yeah, he just makes up. If you don't say anything, I'm gonna have to make it up. Yeah. <laughs> he probably says you know unnamed sources. So yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know the local gossip. Yeah. Exactly. Even though the Pioneer was a real paper, I would say 99% of my articles come from the Black Hills Daily Times. I don't know why that is. I don't know if they lost the articles from the Pioneer or if there just weren't as many. Or They were rival newspapers, so they got rid of it. They got, maybe uh, the Black Hills Daily Times burnt down the Pioneer. <laughs> yes. <know? laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it only takes one fire when you're... History you know. is written by the winners! Ha 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 ha! And I'm, I'm guessing there wasn't much of a library to uh, to save everything in Deadwood. Doc tells Alma that Brom's injuries correspond to a fall from the ridge. He has no opinion on how Brom came to fall. Alma points out that Doc was full of opinions when he was treating her, but now, curiously, he seems rather short on opinions. She asks what or who might constrain him. That's when he leaves her some laudanum and tells her to go home. <laughs> I don't know how he could tell how he fell. How would you ever tell how a person was, you know, what caused sure him to fall? Today they could tell. You think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they yeah. could look at angles of falls and... They'd have more yeah. science. But he would yeah. also have to be in the space that he fell. Yeah. For them to look at it and all of that. That's why, you know, you don't move the body and oh, all of that. Right. Yeah. So, oh, okay. oh, he fell for sure. How do you, how do you know? Oh, he's got two big palm prints on his chest. <laughs> 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 yeah. CSI Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of the room, EB hears the laudanum break. Alma's crying. Then she tells him through the door that she needs a coffin. He knocks again, asking to see her face to face. It won't resurrect Brom from the dead, but he'd like to purchase her claim for $12,000. She'll think on it. Mm. After he slinks away, she goes to Bill's room and knocks. Jane answers. Alma would like to pay Bill to advise her on a course of action since she has no one else in the camp. Jane tells Alma to wait in her room because Bill is sleeping went off and he needs time to get the phlegm situated. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> do you think do you think she told Alma to go back to her room so she wouldn't see uh that Jane was going to another room to get Bill so that uh so that Alma would think that that she was sharing a room with Bill cuz she want you know maybe. she wants that to be so maybe she would want that to be the public perception. <laughs> of, uh, you bring up an interesting point, well, I don't know how interesting it is, but you bring up a point, that the Charlie left, so Jane now has his room, but what happened to the people who were waiting for the hotel rooms? Yeah. Mm. Dead, but I ate them up. Possession but is nine-tenths. <laughs> but when they were looking at each other, Alma and Jane, there's like there's some moments where they're just like looking at each other and kind of smiling, I was just like, oh, I'll be friends. <laughs> I was like, I hope you guys are friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think they will be. <laughs> Although I felt like she was sizing her up because she was like thinking maybe she might be competition. Yeah. Yeah. Jane. I mean, Jane to Alma, she thought, you know. Mm -hmm. well, I think Jane is used to having really bad relationships with women who dress like Alma. Yeah. You mean in doilies? <laughs> <laughs> That's what Alma was wearing this episode. was just piles of doilies <laughs> sewn together. That, that was the style. 
Mm-hmm. That's the style. And, yeah, and it's coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure when a, a woman like Alma comes knocking on the door, that can't be good news. Yeah. For a person like Jane. I'm sure they wouldn't be friends naturally, but she's like the only other woman in the town, so they're like just drawn that's together not, by that, that fact. That is not a prostitute, you mean? Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Those prostitutes, they don't count. <laughs> Something else they have in common is that they're both, uh, they have substance abusers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Alma's is more protracted and Jane's is kind of goes in spikes. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people in Deadwood who have the same issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fun how the, how the drinkers look down on the drug users. But, uh, yeah, in pretty much any other place, those two would never speak to each other. Yeah, that's true. And, and once again, EB is, is way too early on uh, pushing for that sale. I mean, wh- why not wait until after the coffin is, is obtained and and uh, Alma has calmed down a little bit? What, why is he pressing her on the sale? It, it looks so suspicious. Yeah. Well, I mean, he does have to answer to Swerigen. So. It, it could have waited a, a couple of hours. Yeah, maybe a couple of hours. And you wait too long, she becomes clear-headed again and... Perhaps they, perhaps they think because she's a lady, she'll be really emotional and not thinking clearly. They're trying to get her in a weak moment. I'm sure they, they think that she's kind of semi-worthless. You know, she's a... I mean, her husband was not the brightest bulb, and then we have, you know, his arm candy. What possible brains can she possibly have? Some people think more clearly, too, in, in moments of crisis. You know, that's when they really shine, so mm-hmm. they probably weren't expecting that. <laughs> they, I think they weren't expecting her to be a really smart woman. Yeah. At the Bella Union, Cy will pay Doc $50 a visit three times a week for looking after his girls. He wants them shiny, make no mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so does, I want, this made me wonder, does the doctor enjoy looking at Vaginas all day long, or he get that's not this? what I thought you were going to say. Why? What were you, did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say, "Is that where Joss Whedon got shiny from for Firefly?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't she know. doesn't even know what that is. No, <laughs> okay, I've seen Firefly, but I don't remember anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so did he come to the doc, or did the doc come to him? It sounds like the doc came to him. Yeah, I thought the doc came to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe somebody's. Sai sent someone to fetch the doctor, and Sai Tolliver would like to see if you have a moment, and then he walked in, and they started talking. Joni inquires after lubricants, and Doc says, he's armed and ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it just made me think, does he get off on treating treating the whores, or does he just care that much for hygiene in the town that he insists? I mean, you'd ask the same thing of a gynecologist then, right? Yeah. My feeling is just his job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I don't think he either gets off, nor does he care so much. It's just, that's his job. That's yeah. what I thought, but then I wasn't sure because he seemed to be really intense about the hygiene, and I was like, okay, that seems to be really... And, and he was just really... When you have these that's fine, like that. but he was really intense about selling his wares, I guess. Like, you know, his services. Maybe he just likes money. Well, that, If you, if you yeah. think about it, though, if you have a big camp with a, a small number of prostitutes, disease can be spread throughout that camp really fast. Yeah. yeah. It's probably just Brad Dourif's face that made me question. <laughs> I was like, he's just really intense right now. It's weird. <laughs> he's a pretty intense guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I mean, ever any time the camera's on him, those eyes are kind of piercing through. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you know. I but think yeah, he I, was. 
nominated in the first season for either a Golden Globe or an Emmy. Nice. He was Robin Weigert, were like the two best supporting nominees, and that was like all of where the nominations went. Oh, was Robin Weigert? Calamity Jane. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, I never thought that his that the Doctor's character might be slimy or anything because I never got that impression so much, but it just made me question it. So yeah, yeah, no. Well, I think he was actually quoting a figure that was lower than he than Cy offered. Yeah, he well, said, he, he oh. said yeah, he was, paid him twenty. Twenty. Yeah, and they said how's fifty, and he's like, well, yeah, I'll take fifty. <laughs> sure. Yeah, he never did say how often he goes to Swearingen's. Because no. they said, oh, I'll bet it's only like once a month or something. Yeah. But he goes yeah, this and- is 53 times a week. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe this guy wants to like advertise, like, hey, my whores are way cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he wants he wants the top treatment for, for his yeah. Uh, brothel. Yeah, I don't know about you fellas, but I'd go to the Bella Union before I go to the jail. <laughs> well, I would too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go there with that sick guy there, though. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> A man enters, he wants a room, a safe, and to shoot some dice. Sai escorts him to a more private space, and it's revealed that this man's name is Andy, and he knows the Bella Union operators. He's come because he wants to get something going, some sort of con. <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking about this. I, I'm, this is my guess as to what this is. is that I, I assume that he you know, he obviously works with Sai, and he probably uh, acts as kind of a shill at the craps game. Uh, so other people, because it seems like no one's familiar with how to play crap, so he'll be the guy who's winning, and like the soap guy, <laughs> he's going to be showing yeah. off his big winnings. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Or maybe, if you've seen Carnival, you remember when Samson put like chalk on the back of some guy's jacket, and it's like, that's the guy you should milk for all the money. Take advantage of this guy, pick's pocket, do all that. Maybe that's like Andy's role. Oh, maybe. To fleece the, the marks. Possible, yeah. He just judges characters that are hanging out. Does not look good for that guy having a long career there, though. The subtitles write his last name is Crane, but in all other references, it's actually Cramed. C-R-A-M-E-D. In the commentary, Keith Carradine confirms this and thought, how did David Milch come up with the name Cramed? (laughs) It's not a real name. The actor who plays him is Zach Grenier. I know him best currently as David Lee on The Good Wife. Mm. Another show I haven't watched yet. Oh, it's so good. That's what I hear. It's probably my favorite network show. Because I love legal legal things. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that one. I I don't know whether the first seasons are on Netflix or, or Amazon Prime. I need to find out. E.B. tells Al that Alma is considering the offer on the claim. E.B. confesses he only offered her 12000 and it's up to Al and how much of the 8000 he saves E.B. should get. Al is struck by how incorrigible E.B. is and thinks that perhaps when all is said and done, $2,000 is fair recompense. Yeah, I love how Al just knows E.B. low-balled her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Are the floors inside the bar dirt? I think there's wood. No, oh, there wood. E.B. just spit on the floor in that scene. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. And everyone does, I'm sure. <laughs> it's so gross! There's a sign in the number 10 that says no spitting on the floor. Ah. It's but, right behind the poker table. Sick. <laughs> actually, back then, you know, mostly it was cigars or chewing tobacco. So there were probably spittoons, at least yeah. around the bar. Uh, E.B.'s probably just spitting on the floor, though. Yeah, because yeah. it's disgusting. I remember thinking while he was doing that, is there a spittoon there for him, or is he just is he just spitting on the floor? I didn't hear a ridiculous sound effect like, <laughs> <laughs> so I <swear> not. 
Yeah, I I was listening for something too, and there wasn't anything. <laughs> Although I don't feel like this is the type of show that would have a ridiculous cartoon sound effect. <laughs> no, I wasn't expecting a cartoon sound effect, but it seems like there should there would have been a sound. But. I I want someone to edit in cartoon sound effects to one of these episodes. Like an abr- I want somebody to do an abridged episode with <laughs> cartoon sound effects. <laughs> Maybe there's a gag reel that does that. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I never understood that sound from Spittoons, though. Yeah, like, yeah. is somebody, like, throwing out a throwing tooth? metal into Are they throwing metal? out a tooth with their spit? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's true. That was a major, major way that the uh, disease was uh, transmitted back then, through uh, all the spitting. Ah. Yeah, exactly. So, so many people it. spent their nights at bars and chewing tobacco, because there wasn't mm-hmm. much else to do. Yeah. At least the men. Yeah. Yeah. Always... If I was Al, I would say, why the fuck are you spitting on my floor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you just spit on my floor? I will get the gimp to clean it up. <laughs> did you just spit on my floor? Don't make me do a zoom-in punch. <laughs> <laughs> in Alma's room, Alma tells Bill and Jane that she feels Brom was murdered because there are no laws or courts and she has no evidence. She'd simply leave, except that E.B. offered to buy back the claim. She confesses that if she takes the money, she'll feel like she's an accomplice of another sort. And then Billa asks, in what way have you been an accomplice until now? And I, I think the answer is because she sat by in an opium haze and did nothing but watch the situation play itself out. Yeah, I, that was my thought, too. I, I feel like it fits in with the uh, kind of that death wish that she talks about later on, you know, in a later scene. That she may have been hoping that something like that would happen. Yeah. You're right. Later on, she kind of confirms that the way she's been an accomplice is that she almost wished him dead. Yeah. Or she, mm-hmm. or she did wish him dead, and it came true, and now she feels guilty. Yeah. That very perceptive of Bill to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Not would have been a question I would have asked. I would not have picked up on that phrasing. No. Do you think if Evie had offered the full 20000 it would have made a difference? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. I don't no. think so. No. She seems it pretty, might... con- con- like, she has convictions on finding... The truth out here. In fact, if it, I think it might have made made her more suspicious yeah, if he had offered more money. Yeah, I, agree. I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. I kind of feel like maybe if Al had made the offer of twenty thousand, it might have made a difference. And having this the slimy EB do it in, in, in the manner that he did it. You think Al has more of the way with words to kind of well, convince people? Yeah. Well, she hasn't even met Al at this mm-hmm. point. So yeah. if if she received a formal proposal from him. Uh, that he felt guilty for being involved in that deal and, and, uh, and given the circumstances that he would like to set everything, uh, straight. It, it might not look quite as suspicious. Maybe, maybe like, not, you know, but, but that, that, that would be the best way of going about it, I think. I feel like Al may have been more threatening towards her than anything else, if anything, and that might have scared her off into doing it. I, I just feel like she's, she's seen this whole suspicious thing going on for a long time. Mm. I don't think anything's going to make her not be suspicious. Yeah. The thing that just doesn't make sense, though, is why would you kill him if you wanted that claim in the first place? Because he was trying to sell it back to uh, Al. He wanted his money back. So if if Al had said, I told him that if he couldn't find anything, I was going to give him back his money, and I feel sorry, you know, he had this terrible accident. Here, I'll, I'll give you back the money. At least I might have allayed some suspicion. I'm not. I'm not convinced 100, percent but but just that if there was any way to do this without having her turn it down, that would have been the way to go. Yeah. So you're saying that Al did not handle this? Yeah. Well? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think putting EB in charge of anything that requires some tact uh, is the way to go. Who else does he have, though? 
That's the problem. We need someone else. You know, the other thing is, why kill the guy if he's looking to get his money back and you don't want to give him his money back? So you kill him and then you give the money back to the wife. I, that Okay, so, but but here's the thing. He killed, or he had Dan kill Brom before they knew that the claim had something on it. True. Also, I think he wanted him killed to avoid the Pinkertons, not not because he wanted, not because of any money. He just wanted right. the Pinkertons away. He, he didn't want to pay Brom $20,000 or $12,000 or have the Pinkertons show up, so he had Brom killed, and then the complication came in later when they found out that, oh, that the claim is actually worthwhile. If he had known that to begin with, he just would have given Brom the money. Right, right. I forgot for a minute that he probably yeah. was not going to... That this whole thing with the Pinkertons is at this point an excuse because he doesn't really expect the widow to do anything. And that he, until he found out about the gold, he wasn't going to offer her anything. That this is, that he just wants the, the claim now because of the, the gold that was found. I forgot. Well, Alma thinks, Alma suspects immediately that something's wrong here because he could have paid Brahm, but instead he had him killed because she's, She's certain that he had him killed. Mm -hmm. She wants to know why, and she's going to pay Bill $100 to investigate, is the price that they settle on. So Bill goes across the street to the gem, and Dan is very surprised to see him there ordering whiskey. By the way, a shot of whiskey here costs 50 cents. There's a sign behind the bar, I'm going to read it to you. Fancy drinks and jigger prices. Gin fix, 15 cents. Brandy fix, 20 cents. Whiskey fix, 15 cents. Something called the Judge is twenty cents. Nope. Old Tom Gin fourteen cents. A Blue Blazer fifteen cents. Absinthe is twenty five cents. Ooh. Absinthe. Wow. I was gonna look up what the Judge is. <laughs> yeah. Sounds badass. Yeah, it does. I thought absinthe was more European. Mm. Like when I think of absinthe, I always think of a bunch of French artists well, Al getting, getting Al is European. ridiculously drunk. Maybe yes, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of immigrants. He's trying yes, to I culture so. culture these these uh, Americans. Yes, this is true. The absinthe. Yeah. Have you guys okay. ever tried absinthe? No. No. It's very it's very licoricey in taste. Mm -hmm. That's well, I've smelled it and no, no thanks. I don't like, I don't like <laughs> licorice, so I, I know I wouldn't like absinthe. Yeah. I, like I used it. to want to try it because Lotz used to drink it on Carnival, and I would think, oh. Well, I want to be a, a blind uh, seer as well. I think I'll drink some absinthe. <laughs> but then I found out it was uh, smelled and tasted like licorice. So no, thank you. I like licorice, but there's plenty of uh, other less uh, dangerous things to drink. Yeah, it's not dangerous if you just drink one shot. Sambuca. <laughs> Yep. So according to AbsoluteDrinks.com, the judge is made with two parts bourbon, one part apricot brandy. Mm. Fill a mixing glass with ice cubes, add all the ingredients, stir and strain into a chilled cocktail glass. Mm. Except they didn't have any ice cubes. Oh. oh. So just a mm. warm judge. <laughs> a lukewarm judge. <laughs> maybe you just stick it in the river next to one of those bodies that's chilling out there. Oh, maybe. Kind of related to a fuzzy navel. Mm. Yeah, because that's peach flavored, right? Is that peach or apricot? Um, it's peach. Peach, peach schnapps. It, it ends up tasting like apricots, mm -hmm. but it's peach. Well, apricots are quite close to peach flavor, anyways. Yeah. Right. So Leon reports to Al on how well the Hoopleheads took the craps at the Bella Union. Turns out they liked it. <laughs> this is when they EB like comes that? in. I, What's I, that? I was wondering about that because he said like chimps to a fire, which I I took as that chimps would run away from a fire. Oh, I took that as that they would be happy about finally being warm and it would be like a 
they're evolving. Chimps found fire. I was thinking, like, you know, how Frankenstein reacts to fire, that they were running <laughs> away from it. <laughs> fire bad! <laughs> yeah, I, I was I, I was seeing kind of a little uh, bit of a narrative going on in the background here that, that the crafts are not that popular. Crap's so. bad! <laughs> fire bad, tree pretty. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was... That's those were our interpretations. How did you guys read that line? That went right by me. Yeah, me too. I don't even remember it. No. I remember it. I didn't ponder it. <laughs> I was uh, like, yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe we'll take a poll on the Facebook group. Yeah, I paused it uh, and thought about it for a little bit. What did that mean? But when did mm-hmm. they actually say this? Because I missed it entirely. Yep. Right, right before uh, Al's upstairs talking to Leon and. Uh, oh, okay. It's in that scene. Oh. Yeah, I think I got distracted for a second. Wouldn't you know? Would be right then. Leon is the heroin user who's uh-huh. been cut. Con- is like the spy for both saloons, but he really works at the Bella Union. But he's telling Al that the Hoopleheads took to craps. At least that's what I that they liked it. That was my interpretation. Harold thinks that maybe they were confused by it, like chimps at their first fire. I don't know. Yeah, my interpretation. We didn't, we didn't know Leon what could've... Christ crucified meant last yeah. week either. <laughs> I, I thought that Leon was kind of happy to report that news. Maybe it, hmm. meant, maybe it meant that they were confused but fascinated. Oh, could be. Because mm. we had that also that scene where Merrick is talk, proposing writing an article about uh, learning to play craps. I just think that's a it's a problem in the uh, in the you know the camp that they're familiar with pharaoh and, and poker, but they're not familiar with craps. Yeah, craps is a, is a pretty complicated game compared to a lot of these. It's really hard to win, too, isn't it? Like, the the odds are really bad. I think it's the one game where actually, at least for certain bets, uh, the odds can be in your favor at a casino. Hmm. This is when E.B. comes in and orders a drink. He and Merrick then watch from a nearby table. Johnny beckons Al to come downstairs. And when Al does, he asks Bill, why, why have I given offense that you would stay in the camp but don't come to my joint? And <laughs> Bill says, no poker. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Merrick is just hoping and waiting for a shootout. <laughs> Or a story of some sort. He and E.B. are just gawking. They're like, something's gonna happen. Yeah, Wild Bill makes an impression on people wherever he goes. That's why I don't think it would be surprising to him how fast he got shot after he sat down with his back to the door. So Al gives his spin on the events regarding the claim. He says the Tenderfoot had childish ideas about striking it rich. When the claim turned out to be worthless, he looked for someone to blame. And Brom unfairly blamed Al. He then says visions of Pinkertons descended in swarms return, so he had E.B. make an offer to buy the claim back. E.B. wants the land for real estate. Al hopes that Bill will explain this to Alma in a favorable light, and Bill asks, what is that worth? The light that he shows it in. And Al smiles. He's very impressed that Bill would ask for a bribe. Hmm. So was Bill actually being underhanded, or is he just trying to get the, the truth, or does he just want some money? You know, I, I watched this scene a few times, and uh, I trying to figure out what was going on. And th- this was my thought on it, is that Al uh, gives a tell in this one because he says within a few seconds, he says that the innkeeper still believes in the claim. And then just a few seconds later, he says that he wants it for the real estate. So I think it, that's where, you know, he gives two contradictory reasons why EB's interested. So now Bill knows that this is, you know, BS and that something's going on. I, I feel like, Bill maybe is asking for money as a way to kind of placate Al and keep Al thinking that he's he's with him to stall for time. What, what I, do you think? I thought he was testing Al. 
I thought Bill was testing Al to see whether he's an honest guy or not. He already had a pretty good idea, and uh, he was dangling bait, seeing if Al would take it, and Al took it. That was my read on it, too. That convinced him that he was not... I mean, can you imagine if uh, if that was Seth behind the bar instead of Al? And Yeah, Seth would have said, I- I'm not paying you anything. Right. Like, I... I know what's right and true, and I don't have to pay you or prove anything to you, is what Seth would say. And he would walk out all (laughs) stiff-armed and take his shirt off. (laughs) And Mel would be like, oh, that's weird. (laughs) Did anyone spot the barber in the background? No. No. I told you, there's a barber back there. Oh, gotta look for the barber. Barber watch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I wrote this little note in here at this point, but... I'll read it anyway. It says, In the commentary, Keith Carradine says he wore blue contact lenses, which helped his performance because they caused him considerable pain. Also, Bill's vision was going at this point of his life due to syphilis. Although, David Mills says at one point that it was gonorrhea, but it was some sort of venereal disease. Mm. Yeah, stay away from that, Jane. Yeah, true. It was rampant. Yeah, she may may already have something, but... Yeah, she probably did. I mean, she was... She had a tough life. I probably put that note in there at this this point because that's one on the commentary. Keith Carradine mentioned the contact lenses. Mm-hmm. So in Bill's room, Jane tells Alma that the same limey cocksucker that killed her husband also operated the road agents that done in the Squarehead family. Bill recommends then that Alma find someone suitable to reconnoiter. Bill recommends Seth, Seth Bullock. Yeah. At the gem, Al tells E.B. to call on Alma within the hour. This is when Ellsworth comes in, he wants a drink, he tells Dan, ask me the key to long life. Mm-hmm. Dan says, what's the key to long life? It's the same as a dog keeping its uh, nose. Don't poke it where I don't belong. Mm-hmm. Ellsworth tells Dan that, I know you shove Brom off the cliff, but the secret is safe with me, and if it means that I have to leave the camp to prove that I'm sincere, then so be it. I would rather leave than being fed to the pigs. So if he's so worried about being killed, why does he say anything? Yeah, I was thinking that. He's taking a chance no matter what. I think he probably thinks that Dan might have seen him or isn't sure that Dan doesn't, you know. Oh, maybe. That's the only thing I could figure, that he... Yeah, except midway through, he should have realized that Dan didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Yeah. I don't know if he was so nervous that he just kept on going on with it or he just decided, hell, I'm just going to lay my cards out on the table. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... He's so honest and forthright. I don't know why... Dan wouldn't take Ellsworth at his word. I think he does, though. He wants to. He wants to. Oh, mm-hmm. I, Dan definitely does. He's just not sure what Al would consider betrayal on Dan's part. Mm. Dan tells him Al's just going to have him killed, which is... I think there was a, a beat at the end of the previous episode where Ellsworth is shown watching Dan and then kind of goes into the shadows and Dan puts his head up like, what was that noise? Yeah. So maybe he did think he, he'd been seen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Except Dan, in this episode, just didn't seem to have any clue what Ellsworth was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe he should have felt that out a little bit. Although, I mean, these guys are, you know, Ellsworth might not have trusted himself to be able to tell whether Dan was just playing dumb or really didn't know anything. And, you know, he's trying to hedge his bets. On the mm-hmm. idea, just tell me to leave town, I'll leave town. You know, there's... Nope. No, no harm here. I'm not going to say anything to anybody, but if you don't believe me, I'll be happy to leave town. So, so what would you have done in that situation? I don't know. 
I really don't. Because part of me says that I'd like to think that I'd do something about the fact that somebody was just murdered, but on the other hand, quite honestly, there's nothing to be done in a place with no law about that. So if you go into that place, you've got to be ready to deal with the society you're in. And the society you're in has no law. So who do you go to? What do you do? Okay, okay here's what you do. What do you, you write a, you write like a testimony of what happened, and you mail it to somebody to be opened on my death. <laughs> and then you go and, and you say to Al, look, I know what you did. I don't care. I'm not going to say anything about it. But if you do anything to me, uh, Matt Humphrey's going to open this letter that I sent him, and it's going to say, <laughs> other Matt, this is, this is what he saw. So you better not kill me. That's a good idea. Have you done this before? <laughs> <laughs> so, does that mean... Maybe getting a letter next week. That's what I'm saying. Do they have postal service in Deadwood? It's not part of the United States. Uh, they have... Uh, Charlie runs a mail route. Yeah, He will. Wild <laughs> Bill's writing a letter to his wife. That's true. I think there was some kind of... Like, whenever there were stagecoaches and stuff, they would, you know, put mail on, on stagecoaches to go out. But it was very... From what I can recall, it was very uh, catcher's catch can. Mm-hmm. There was a previous scene. I, I can't remember which one it was, but I wrote the note, the cameraman is drunk, <laughs> because it was like r- extreme shaky cam. I don't know what, why. Oh. It's, it's just people talking. I think it was, I think it might have been in the room with the girl, maybe, or one of the one of the hotel rooms. It was just people talking, and the camera was going all over the place. I don't, I don't know if we've seen that before or not. If you can remember what scene it is, let me know. I'd like to go watch it. I think it might have been the scene where where Bill comes back after talking to Al, I think. Comes when back. he's talking to the widow? Yeah, after talking to Al, I think. Mm. Maybe. Might mm. have been the one. Well, that was a pretty, seemed like a pretty small room. Mm. Maybe it was hard for the cameraman to get around or something, I don't know. Maybe it was intentional to... Oh, it had to be. ...make us feel anxious. Yeah, mm. I mean, yeah. To feel Alma's anxiety. Mm. Yeah. Tom Nuttall thinks that shutting down the game between Bill and the droop-eyed Hooplehead caused Bill to seek an appearance arrangement with Al. Al says they struck no such agreement. Tom asks Al what he thinks of the new saloon. Al says, nice sign. <laughs> <laughs> so at the number 10, Constapleton and a guy named Lou are playing double solitaire. Jack tries to insult Lou the same way that Bill insulted him by saying, uh, you're, you're, you're walking fucking cunt with your cunt, your eyes, like, moving. <laughs> uh, Jack says that he possesses a gun. Khan says, Khan doesn't believe him and offers to see $5 to see this supposed gun. I also didn't believe him. Oh, I believe him. <laughs> Khan says that Jack can use the money to stake his comeback and get out of this brown study. Brown study, a 14th century British term, started out as meaning a dark, melancholy mood, but later came to mean a state of thinking deeply about something. Before the two words were ever commonly used together in language, brown was used to describe something dark and somber, or sober, while being in a study meant daydreaming. Mm. The saying is outdated in today's language. Mm. Interesting. Then he pulls um, Jack's suit tag off, and Jack says, What'd you take off me? (laughs) That Jack gets up and, and leaves. I got your nose, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> My nose. I need that nose to breathe. But, yeah. Fool but I again. Like, I like how he was using that that the, the uh, insult that Bill used on him. He was trying to use it on someone else. Yeah. 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 It's a strange hero worship thing Jack has going on with Bill. Yes. This is a weird dynamic. 
I love it, but it's strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think pretty much everything I've ever seen of that particular dynamic has always been weird. No one's ever been quite clear on why he killed Wild Bill, other than wanting to be important. I, there's another note I have here that I don't know where I wrote it or why, but I'll just bring it up now. Is there no music in this show, background music, or is it just really rare? Because like, at a certain point, I was like, where's the music in this show? I hadn't thought of that. No, it's very rare. It's very sparse. Because I do remember, I'm pretty sure I remember hearing some when you get that shot of the Black Hills in the first episode, but beyond that, yeah, I can't remember. I tend to get in the big scenes. Okay. Huh. There's also incidental, like, dance hall music and things like that. Yeah. I think I told you when I was trying to find an underscore music for the podcast, I had a hard time because there's no music I could pull from Deadwood. <laughs> <laughs> there's no official soundtrack? It's just the music that they play at the end of the episodes. Oh. The songs. Oh, okay. But, uh, no, the underscore very rare. In the climax of this episode, when Jack is running through the thoroughfare and there's kind of that montage... The piece of music is called a guazu, and it's by Gustavo Sanduala. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. And they used it in the movie Babel. They played that track, and like when it ended, I said, I whispered to myself, he shot Wild Bill Hickok. <laughs> <laughs> my fr- and my friend who was with me was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I hear that music, I only think this scene. Mm. One of the things I appreciated in this was the fact that they've taken these episodes to set up the effect that Bill's death had on Jane, um, even on Seth. I mean, even though he hasn't known him for very long, but he's Seth is also kind of identifying with Bill, so him getting killed is meaningful to him. But, you know, I mean, I've really felt for Jane. David Milch says that once Wild Bill Hickok dies in the fourth episode of the first season, that's when the show can properly begin. The hero is dead, and now Bullock is left with Utter and Jane. They're his foster parents. They're going to raise him. And there is also something to the opposite idea, which is that when our parents are old and past their usefulness, a proper respect would have us still care for them. And so Bullock does his best to see that they are cared for. Hmm. Yeah, something I had noted at the very beginning when Charlie left, I just wrote, and I didn't really know that Bill was going to die in this episode, but it was like, with Charlie gone, Bill is doomed. And it really did come out that way. In the thoroughfare, Seth tells Bill that he doesn't feel comfortable reconnoitering the claim, but he'll bring someone in from Montana if the widow will give it that much time. Bill gives Seth the $100 that Alma gave him and the $150 that Al gave him. He thanks Seth for the favor. Saul thinks Alma should be looking for a wagon and get out of town pronto. And in the background of the scene, we see Jack McCall watching and mm. ruminating. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how many different people over the course of this episode suggest that Alma leave town, yeah. either yes. to her face or just in other conversations. Yep. Heed any of their advice. For some reason, I feel like she might be, she might have more of a chance of being successful at what she's trying to accomplish than Brom was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's a lot smarter than Brom, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Smarter, and I think there's also an idea of, like, chivalry, like, you can't murder a woman. Yeah. You can't intimidate her the way that you could do to Brom or Jack or somebody else like that, or EB. You can you can murder a woman, but you can't murder a woman of that class. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, but, <laughs> you know. No, you can, but if, he, if you're worried about Pinkertons and everything, it, you've already murdered a man of of that class, but if you also murder his wife... Yeah. 
you know, that's, you're really, really looking for trouble. Especially yeah. with her standing and her father sounds like he's... I suppose dead. nobody would miss a whore. <laughs> no, and it's probably unfortunately still true to this day, so... That's exactly what I was going to say, yeah. It's the title of somebody's autobiography, Nobody Misses a Whore. <laughs> People who are poor and in, you know, marginalized professions are are not considered as worth their attention as people who have money. Yeah. It's unfortunately still true. Yep. So Dan confides to Trixie that while he likes Ellsworth, his standards of who he can trust are not the same as Al's. Trixie doesn't think it's fair that Ellsworth should have to leave the camp over the difference. She tells him not to do it. Which, Dan asks, kill Ellsworth or tell him to leave the camp? Either, she says. She's conducting herself like a little mini Al here. <laughs> Al and Alstead. She points her thumb at Dan, and he says, Don't you be pointing that thumb at me, Trixie. You talk that subject out. <laughs> Ellsworth, meanwhile, he keeps wanting these little status updates, like, Are we good? Are we okay? Okay, I'll just go back to drinking. You just let me know. <laughs> if I was him, I would just, like, go somewhere else. <laughs> I would disappear for several days. Mm. I don't understand why he really told him in the first place. I mean... The yeah. only thing I can think is that he, he thinks that Dan might have seen him. Yeah. Yeah. The claim was adjacent, so... Yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah. He's shown up almost every time they've been on their claim. He's He's been there, so... Yeah. It's not far-fetched. And even if he hadn't seen him, perhaps Ellsworth thinks it's not much of a leap for Al or Dan to make that... Mm -hmm. That Ellsworth's gonna be very suspicious why the Brahm just happened to fall, and then all of a sudden the claim is is paying out. You see, this is what Al could have done. He could have used Ellsworth to make the offer. He could have said, I'm, I'm the, I have the claim next door. I'll just uh, take over yours as well. It's right next to mine. Yeah, but Ellsworth is an honest guy. He's not a toady. Well, maybe now he owes a favor. Yeah. Mail a letter. That's what I said. <laughs> do, do what I did. I've said too much. <laughs> so Al wants to know why Bill took a $150 bribe and then told the widow not to sell. He says that Hickok needs to die. Then E.B. gets really worked up, and he tells Al that, hey, you're being paranoid, because a man with many responsibilities, feeling beset, takes things too personally. And Al says, well, regardless, things would be simpler with Hickok out of the picture. And then he needs to fuck something. Trixie! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's such a romantic, that guy. <laughs> uh, I love E.B.'s little gestures during this. His little hand gestures? Yeah. He has the most amusing movements. I didn't notice. No? No, what was he doing? I don't know, just like waving him around like a Muppet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he really saved Al from doing something uh, that would have been a disaster. You know, it took if, care uh, of itself anyways. Yeah, it took care of itself, but if, if Al had been responsible for the death of Wild Bill, that could have been the end of Deadwood as a thriving town. <laughs> well, maybe... Uh... You know, if anything Maybe, would have brought um, in Marshalls or, or Pinkertons or whatever, it, it would have it would have been a disaster. Well, maybe somebody's going to accuse Al of hiring Jack to do it. He's in everything else. Yeah, it doesn't seem like like Jack's been anywhere near the gem. Mm -hmm. I mean, plus, anyone who sat at that table would feel as though the animosity that Jack uh, felt toward Bill came of his own that's true. free will. Yeah, he's spraying that all throughout the camp. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's. It's been pretty obvious that he. He was a threat in his own incompetent way. As were either of those two guys from uh, the last episode. 
mm-hmm. confronted yep. Wild Bill while they were building the hardware store. Yep. There's probably a lot of a lot of Jack McCalls who are out wandering around there who'd like to make a name for themselves. Mm. Yep. And Bill knew it. That was that was kind of his life, which if you think about how tiring that would be, it makes really gives you a footing as to why he was like he was. I'm glad that you brought that up, Harold, that scene with those two guys outside the hardware store, because that was another one of those heavy foreshadowing scenes. I hope you die in this camp. Mm-hmm. In fact, I thought between that scene and the title that I was going to tell you that the next episode was called Here Was a Man, I thought that somebody was going to put it together, that Hickok was going to die. Which, Maybe Carol did. But we're just a bunch of hoople heads, man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to die. I didn't know that he was going to die this episode. I should have figured out <laughs> there was a man, but for some reason it, it didn't. I think I was trying to put it out of my head as much as possible. There's many men that die. It could have been any. Well, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I refer to Brom. Well, I'm glad there was an element of surprise, at least in that final moment. Mm-hmm. Well... No. For me. <laughs> For you. Okay. Yeah. Mel already knew. Yeah, once he started putting his affairs together and he was writing the letter to his wife, I'm like, oops, there's the letter to his wife. Yeah, that's pretty TV tropish. Yeah, that one. And then when he walked in and I'm like, okay, is he going to sit down with his back to the door? Okay, yeah, this is it. He's he's a goner. He's toast. So. I'm sure I was shocked when I first saw it because I didn't know anything about the history of the camp or the characters. So when it happened, I probably went, oh my god, I can't believe it. But then you go back and you watch the first, like, four episodes before this moment, and you're like, yeah, it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. They are really laying the groundwork. Yeah, it's a pretty well-known story if you, you know, have delved into any kind of Western history at all, so. Also, you need to watch Little Big Man now. <laughs> mm. Whenever you say that, I keep thinking you're saying Little Man Tate, and I'm like, that's not the same oh, movie. No! about that genius kid? With Diane Weiss and Jodie Foster? No, it's definitely not. What does that have to do with anything? It's definitely not about a genius kid, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So at the Bella Union, Andy's feeling out of sorts. Joni tells him that she broke up three catfights over who got to give him a bath. Gross. (laughs) Mm. Downstairs, Cy will pay Merrick $50 an issue for advertisements in his newspapers three months in advance. Merrick feels duty-bound to remonstrate that this amount would purchase an ad widely incommensurate with the accompanying articles, and Sai is like, whoa, what a wordsmith. (laughs) (laughs) Just you wait, it's going to get better. He's like, I don't know what what those words mean, but wow, holy cow. He's just buying up the town. What's the point in writing those words if nobody, none of your readers understand them? It's like kind of like a running gag in the show. Merrick keeps coming up with these words and that nobody else kind of knows what they mean. <laughs> it's just very humorous. I almost wondered whether he was using them on purpose so that he could say that he warned them if it ever comes up, but when he actually warned them, they would have no idea that he had just warned them. I think he just got cut off. He, he, I don't think he got past the word remonstrate. And then the uh, side just sent him off to the cashier. <laughs> He's like, yeah, whatever. Just go, go give him the money. Yeah, and it's... You know, he can always say, oh, yeah, I told you you were overpaying if it ever comes up, but... Uh, he could. He doesn't strike me as that duplicitous. Yeah, that's possible. So, so I wants him to know he's being overpaid. It's possible that Cy knows what those words means, but he's just trying to make Merrick feel special. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Or make himself seem like one of the guys. Mm-hmm. I don't get the feeling that Cy's big on small talk. Yeah. We learn Merrick's shameful secret. He He's never shot the craps. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Joni comes downstairs. She tells Sai that Andy is poorly. Sai posts a guard outside of Andy's door and then has another of his employees fetch the doctor under the pretense that somebody fell. <laughs> Why doesn't he think the doctor would come if somebody was sick? He doesn't want that word to get out. I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. what I figured, too. I was surprised that they kept the the story going with the doctor. I figured that the, as soon as the doctor... They don't know him, though, I guess. But I had figured that as soon as the doctor came in, they'd say, okay, the real story is that the guy's sick. Mm. <laughs> but Maybe I've, they're just hoping. They're hoping it's it's nothing major. Yeah, and they just don't want... I'm sure they don't want a poorhouse with being told that a guy has whatever he might have. you think it's smallpox or you think it's... I don't yeah, know that's what, what I think. Yeah. I mean, something like that. No matter what they say he's sick with, the last thing... You know, people are not going to want to come there. Bill informs Alma that Seth is a trustworthy person and he will look to her interests. Then he tells her to listen to the thunder. He said the same thing to Brom, but he didn't say it in thunder. <laughs> True. Perhaps Bill feels a little bit guilty for not warning Brom a little more strongly. I thought it was pretty strong. I think Brom is just stupid. <laughs> yeah, I thought I. He says I didn't say it in thunder, but I I feel like. Brom was just dense. It, it did feel pretty explicit to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was. I think in some ways it was more explicit to Brom, and it was more metaphorical to, to her. Yeah, exactly. True. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He was more like get madrift, and with Brom, he was like, "This is what it's like. This is what it's like, Brom. Get out, Brom. Get yeah, out." They say, <laughs> so, yeah. Didn't they say something about then these men are very dangerous or something like that? Or he, he said, "There's I, two two bodies." They're out there because of this guy. So, yeah. yeah. Don't you see what you're dealing with? Tim Driscoll hasn't been seen since that night. Mm. Brahm's like, well, I shall take my chances. <laughs> well, you, sir, are a dummy. Yes. <laughs> he is a true hoople. Yeah. You know, he was thought he was above such things. They wouldn't dare do something to him. You know, he's a very privileged kind of guy. We see Bill in his room running a letter to his wife. This is when Jane comes in. She's carrying the squarehead girl. The girl's fever is gone. When the girl speaks in Norwegian, Bill makes a joke about her asking to borrow some money, which makes Jane laugh adorably. Aww. <laughs> Jane wants to know if he thinks that Alma would like her company, and Bill says, yes, I, I think Alma would enjoy your company. Aww. Bill is so sweet. It's a very sweet moment. Throughout this whole conversation, Bill is like tickling the girl, and she's always she's like smiling and giggling. It's super sweet. It's really oh, cute. I was wondering when that girl was going to get up and around. I was like, she her muscles must they're going to atrophy soon if she doesn't move. <laughs> <laughs> she's just gonna like she's gonna go down the stairs as like a kind of roll down, <laughs> <laughs> like all limp and kind of just just melt down noodly. melt down the stairs. Yes. Yeah, everyone in town will call them. Call her Noodle Girl. <laughs> oh, good old Carnival noodle. crossover. <laughs> Come see Noodle Girl, alive, alive, alive. <laughs> there was a people had a long time of bed rest in those days. As far as if they were sick, yeah. it took a long time to get better. Yeah. Well, there's not the medicine that we have today. So yeah. I like how incensed uh, Jane got when she discovered that she had interrupted his letter to his wife. I know. I, I think she was like a little bit hurt. <laughs> You think she was hurt? I think so. I think just the mention of his wife probably kind of upset her. Maybe. She's like, oh, you're married. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> it, it almost seemed like she was embarrassed to me. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, that she'd, she'd interrupted him. Oh, she was flirting with him. <laughs> yeah. No he, wonder she was embarrassed, because he's like, you know, my wife. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost like she had interrupted something intimate between he and his wife, and it was, it was a little weird. Yeah, I feel bad. So now I just want to see Noodle Girl, Turtle Boy, and the Man-Eating Chicken all like doing a show together. <laughs> oh, we see that. In, is it the next scene? There's, oh, Jack? He's a man-eating chicken? Yeah. Oh, oh there's your man-eating chicken. Okay. Yeah. Well, first let me say that in the original cut of this episode, according to the commentary at least, that we heard Bill's letter to his wife in voiceover form. Oh, okay. Oh. I'll read a little bit. I couldn't find the full letter, so I'll just read two stanzas. My dearly beloved, if I am to die today and never see the sweet face of you, I want you to know that I am no great man, and I am lucky to have such a woman as you. Aww. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I'm Agnes right now. Aww. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> and he also writes, Agnes, darling, if such should be, we never meet again. While firing my last shot, I will gently breathe the name of my wife. Agnes. And with wishes even more for my enemies, I will make the plunge and try to swim to the other shore. Aww. Um, That's so sad and sweet. (laughs) Yeah, I'd never heard that before. Well, uh, you could kind of see his letter in the background, and I don't know if he just made a bunch of mistakes or if he was doodling on it, but there's like a bunch of like thick parts of thick ink and like shapes and stuff. It looked like it looked like Mel's notepad when she takes notes. It's very messy. (laughs) (laughs) It looked like they they didn't have ballpoint pens back then. Yeah, it looked like cross stuff out to me. I'm, you know, that, Mm. but I don't know. Wasn't it quite common for some people to doodle in, on their letters anyways? Like, they would doodle a little scene of what's going on for their loved ones. <laughs> Maybe. Like, especially artists, I guess, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they would, in journals and stuff, there were, you know, people yeah. would make little pictures and the... Because there wasn't really cameras, so... Or it wasn't a common thing, right? So... Yeah, cameras were just coming in at that point. They were yeah. big and bulky. Yeah. Maybe he sketched a portrait of Jack. <laughs> Here's the droop-eyed hooplehead who I played poker with. <laughs> he just sketches insulting pictures of everyone. Don't, don't you think his eye looks like a cunt? <laughs> Agnes, darling, don't you think his eye looks like a cunt? I told him as such. <laughs> no, it was his mouth, but his eye probably also no, looked like a cunt. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Check out this mouth; it looks like a cunt. <laughs> Um, so Ella fucks Trixie. <laughs> oh, this is so gross! It so was gross! It was a lot of thrusting, and it went on for, like, oh, six minutes. And he was wearing those dirty pajamas. Jeez. I would almost rather oh. see his bare ass. <laughs> nah. I mean, I'm glad it was covered by a dirty piece of material, but I'm not glad that I saw that whole <laughs> violent, gross, blah, ow, <laughs> So I don't know how many of these scenes like that come up now are if they're like in chronological order and sequence or if they're all happening simultaneously, but if it's all like real time, I mean he's fucking her for like six minutes. At the rate he was going at, that's that's stamina. <laughs> <laughs> he went in there with purpose. He had a job to do and he was by dog god and he was gonna do it. Yeah. 
It just took him a while to get everything off of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was like, probably with every thrust, he was just like, like you know, damn, freaking E.B. Farnham. <laughs> Fortunately, the doctor has good lotions and yeah. things to rub down there. Oh, phew. Yeah. So you'll appreciate that later. <laughs> so at the Bella Union, Andy is delirious and complains to Doc about his aching back. Doc will give Andy something to soothe that, again, with the lotions. Doc says if pustules appear on his trunk or face, it will be clear that Andy is suffering from something more than a back injury. I loved the doctor's tone when he said that. (laughs) (laughs) And his face. It was the best! (laughs) Uh, Yep. Yep. Andy has some sort of delirium happening here, because he says, You lost your friend in a fire? (laughs) Whoa. So I don't know what that would refer to, if not for just something that he's saying is kind of like a feverish state. It, yeah. He was also agreeing that he hurt his back, but he's obviously sick, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think he actually hurt his back. He was just like, oh yeah, I hurt my back, whatever. <laughs> so as Bill heads to the number 10, we see the man-eating chicken. or He's eating something. He, he spits it out. Then he insults the Chinese man, calls him Winky, does this slanted-eyed gesture, Ugh. and meows. What a jerk face. Um, looks like he was eating a chicken foot, though. Yes. He pulled it out, and it looked like a chicken foot coated in batter. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I think he, that that first thing you mean, where he was saying, does this look American or something like that? Yeah, and this is exactly what Matt's dad says every time we present him with a new type of food. Yeah, if you, if you give my dad something that's not meat and potatoes, fish and chips, or a club sandwich, he's like, that's not American. <laughs> Even though he's Canadian. Even though he's Canadian. <laughs> Well, North American, I guess. Yeah. But then, of course, that would include Mexico and all of the Caribbean and stuff. Well, we won't get into that. You're overthinking. I I (laughs) There was some sort of like uh, menu posted alongside the the food cart that said, uh, uh, once it said American, and I guess the other was Chinese. Uh, So So I guess he was ordering from the American menu. Uh-huh. And was displeased. So he's like one of those people who goes to a Chinese buffet and eats the French fries, that, yeah, little, yeah. And little mini pizzas that are on there. One yeah. of those annoying people. I don't think too many uh, American uh, Anglo Americans were eating Chinese food in the 1870s. Mm. That would be my guess. Yeah, probably not. <clears throat> They're missing out. <laughs> I guess that's all he could afford with the dollar that Bill <laughs> gave him. <laughs> Although he gave him that money for like breakfast. Yeah, it's got to be at several hours later. I, I don't get the feeling that Jack eats too many meals. Oh, he's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Bill goes into the number ten. He takes Tom Nuttall's seat, the back with his back to the door. That's when I knew it was over. Yep. Yeah. And did he do? Did he know that Jack was coming for him today, or is he just like? Did he just decide today? I'm going to stop being so careful about my own safety. Nobody knows. I don't know if he know, knew it to the minute, but. I think he was putting a plan in motion to Yeah. I think like I'm t- I'm just tired of fighting. I mean he he sat down with quite a flourish and uh I think Wild Bill had a pretty good idea that any time he sat with his back to the door and let his guard down, he was most likely not going to get up again. So it sounds like Wild Bill always had somebody after him no matter what he did. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Hmm. So he figured it would be like a never-ending situation, but he just had to get himself out of it. That's so sad. <laughs> mm. 
I mean, I'm guessing he could have, if he really wanted to get out of the situation and did not want to be, I mean, he could have gone to Europe or someplace. Yeah. Where he probably liked it in America. Yeah. Where it was a different, you know, society. Probably at that age, he didn't feel like he had the energy to start over. He could have just been in Cincinnati with the circus. Yeah. You know? In any major city, people aren't walking around uh, with guns. He had been, yeah, he'd been in, just before he went to Deadwood, he'd been in um, the precursor of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And he had tried his own Wild West show before that. And they said he went into a real nasty, melancholy funk during all of that. And he, he really hated it. I think they did a really nice job of presenting somebody who, who, who just had enough and was ready to just be done with it. In Alma's room, Jane sits on the bed. The squarehead girl is playing with the fan. I can't wait till she has a name. So I can stop calling her the squarehead girl. <laughs> yeah. This is when Alma monologues about her father. He was always the best company when she was ever so little. No such thing as sadness. But he ran into legal trouble, and her marriage to Brom Garrett provided a solution. Although he could never repay her for her sacrifice, he can repay everyone else. Then Alma reveals another reason why she feels like an accomplice to Brom's murder. She made a secret wish that he would die in Deadwood. David Milch says, The most visible addict in the show is Alma, who uses laudanum to mediate between her symbolic position and the reality of her existence as a woman in Victorian society. Alma is a high-class whore whose father pimped her out so that he could pay off his creditors. Drugs like laudanum were ways to reconcile women to their position in society. Take this drug and it will smooth out the rough edges so that you can do your duty to your husband and you won't be bothered by your existence as a human being who is being oppressed. Yep. So Al finishes fin- fucking Trixie. Ugh. He takes a swig from a bottle. Saul and Seth are pleased about the progress of their construction. That's when Jack comes into the number 10 and he shoots Bill in the back, yelling, Take that, goddamn you! Mm. He did have a gun. He did. He wasn't lying before. Yeah. So this is our one and only death of the episode, Wild Bill killed by the coward Jack McCall. So here's some information about Jack. John Jack McCall, born in 1852 or 1853 in Jefferson County, Kentucky, was known by the name Crooked Nose Jack or Broken Nose Jack and was the killer of James Wild Bill Hickok, shooting him from behind, an act that among admirers of Hickok and students of Hickok's history gave him the phrase, The Coward Jack McCall. Mm -hmm. The details of McCall's life are lost. He was raised in Kentucky with three sisters, but drifted westwards and became a buffalo hunter. By 1876, he was living in a gold mining camp called Deadwood, South Dakota, under the alias Bill Sutherland. On August 2, 1876, at the Nuttall and Man's No. 10 Saloon in Deadwood, McCall shot Hickok in the back of the head with a double-action forty-five caliber revolver, shouting, Take that! Hickok, in contrast to his normal habit of sitting in the corner to protect his back, on that day sat with his back to the door while engaged in a game of poker. Ironically, the killing was apparently over McCall's drunken resentment of an act of generosity by Hickok, Hickok having offered McCall money to buy breakfast after McCall had lost it all playing poker the previous day. (laughs) McCall claimed, however, that the killing was retribution for Hickok having previously killed his brother in Abilene, Kansas. Mm. But it said he had sisters, though. Yeah, he had three sisters. So the Didn't brother, mention his brother. The brother was a lie? Probably a lie. We'll get the details of that in the next episode. Yes. Yeah. We'll find out more about... Well, I don't know if we'll find out more about Jack, but we'll get a little bit more Jack to kind of cap off this story arc. Yeah. The poker hand that Bill 
is holding. It's known as the Dead Man's Hand. There's even a website called deadmanshand.us, a site for cursed poker players. <laughs> <laughs> Although the evidence is lacking, it is generally accepted that Hickok's Hand was an ace of spades, an ace of clubs, eight of spades, and an eight of clubs. There is speculation as to what the fifth card was. It's possible that he was in the act of discarding and drawing a final card when he was shot dead. So he got shot in the head in real life and in the back in this? He was shot um, in the back. However, he was shot, but he was... What? I thought this was a headshot on, on the show. Oh, it looked like his back yeah. kind of... Bulk- I thought it was between the, sh- like, between the shoulder blades. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. But I couldn't tell, really. Everything happened really fast, so... Yeah. David Milch says Hickok was going to wind up dead early on because he was so successful as a physical specimen that he had burned himself out. He was an alcoholic. He was going blind. Some say that Hickok's blindness was a result of gonorrhea. Others say it was a traumatic reaction to having accidentally murdered his deputy. He was exhausted physically and morally by the time he went to Deadwood. He had just gotten married three weeks earlier. Oh, Probably gonorrhea. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. Maybe it was just old age. Who knows? He was he wasn't I that didn't, old. I didn't realize he was blind, going blind. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they don't bring it up on the show. Yeah, nope. they don't mention it. No, just that he's tired, and the first time you see him, he's on his back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's always sleeping. It seems mm-hmm. when he's not playing poker, he's sleeping. Well, he's usually got a hangover. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and he plays at night. Tends to play poker at night. Yeah, and then sleeps. Yeah. David Milch also says, For all kinds of reasons, Hickok seemed to accommodate every misconception about the West of popular culture, and to have been destroyed literally by those things in concert with his own demons. His story seemed to me like a very natural story to tell, but one that would also accomplish so much for the viewer in terms of weaning from him any preconception about the West had been like or what the experience of watching the show was going to be. By the way, he was 39 years old. No way! Yeah. I thought he was way older than that. Nope. Wow. I do think that people tend to find Westerns to be like the story of the man who conquers the West and becomes a hero against all odds and mm-hmm. self-made man, manifest destiny, all that kind of stuff. But this is the sad kind of version of that. Mm-hmm. The guy who became that person but was just done in by it. Yeah. And had a very sad end to his life. Mm-hmm. Did not go out in a blaze of glory. No. No. I mean, there are people like this today. That, you know, celebrities, when they go out, there's all sorts of people who like to make a name for themselves by doing something to them. I mean, you regularly see, uh, for example, sports players, they go into these bars, nightclubs, and all of a sudden there's an altercation begins because someone wants to show that they could knock out a football player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you get just somebody like, you know, John Lennon, who someone just wants to be famous. So now we get a, a montage at the Bella Union. Andy has postules on his face. It's spread from his trunk to his face. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Jack is running through the camp. He's pursued by Tom Nuttall and his friends. Jack tries to climb on a horse, but Tom pulls him off and into the mud. Seth and Saul sense that something is happening. They stop building. Men in the camp are shouting. It's shouting about something. Alma and Jane are watching from the window. Jane has this sense that something is wrong and leaves. She also she motions to Alma to watch the girl. Al is watching from his window. The men of the camp have Jack surrounded. They're shouting at him. Jane comes outside, asks Con Stapleton what happened, and he tells her he shot Wild Bill Hickok. Then a man rides into camp carrying an Indian scalp, but nobody seems very interested. Yeah. That was insane. 
A whole head. The head. A whole friggin' human head. Yeah, for a second there, I was like, what? Somebody took, somebody took the chance to cut off his head and ride through the streets already? I thought that was Bill's head for like a split well, that's, second. I, I did too for a split second. That's what it really? struck me as for a minute too, but then I was like, no, that that's totally a, a Native American person. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Al had offered a few episodes ago, which is only like two days ago, um, a reward for any Indian heads, male, female, or child? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good memory. Yeah. He put the bounty out there. Yeah. When I saw this the first time, I and probably the second time too, I thought, this is so weird that they have this guy running in with his Indian head. It's so random and, and strange. Yeah. Like, why in this moment do you have to have this? I kind of wondered that myself. Turns out it actually happened. Mm-hmm. From a book called Paha Sapa, or The Black Hills of South Dakota, by Peter Rosen, he says, On the same day on which Wild Bill was murdered, a Mexican came galloping up Main Street with the head of an Indian from which blood was still dripping, hanging on the horn of the saddle. The people believed that an attack by the savages was imminent and excitement was great. They made up a purse of $60 and presented it to the Mexican for his heroic deed. After receiving the $60, the aforesaid Mexican went on a spree, and before it was over, he too was killed somewhere between Deadwood and Crooksy. Oh, fuck (laughs) that shit. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's really gross. Matt, I kind of remember that you posted some story like this on the Facebook page several months ago when you're, you know, still uh, getting started up. Oh, I might have, yeah. Okay, I think so. It may have been a new story. It may have been a you know, different version of this. Yeah. I remember seeing it before. Yeah, I remember when I found it. I was like, oh, that's why that's in there. Mm-hmm. But it's so strange how they created this whole Seth-Bill relationship that did not exist in reality, but here they want to be so close to the truth that they have to have the Mexican. It's like, yeah. it's a weird kind of decision. Yeah, it's very weird and very distracting in the midst of uh, I, the whole, whole I'm scene. Not sh- <laughs> I'm not sure I like it. It's kind of like, okay, this big thing just happened, but life is still kind of going on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The things are still happening. Yeah, that it's a chaotic place that even something like as big as Wild Bill getting killed can still be distra- you know, you can still end up with a distraction like that's so out of, just so bizarre. Yeah, as a viewer, you're interested in everyone's reaction to the death of Wild Bill. So it's just bizarre that all of a sudden you have this guy swinging around the head. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I don't like the idea that it happened in reality, but I liked, I thought that was, I don't know if I liked the, sh- I don't know, I don't know if I liked, the shocking. I don't want to say that I like the shock value of it, but mm-hmm. it did. I, I don't know. You're, I just like that aspect that they interested? put. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that within a, a crazy moment comes another crazy moment put right in the middle of that. And it's just, you know, it's, cra- it's crazy town right now. <laughs> 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 it's just crazy town all around. You might say that the drama really comes to a head at this point. Oh, okay, could you imagine riding into town oh. with your with your head, oh. and all of a sudden you find out Wild Bill was just shot, and you have to, like, meekly like, oh. go back? I'm going to come back in, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> I was like, that was my moment. Oh, I timed it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, forget you saw me. I'm going to come back, and then you can pay attention. To yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That's that's really crazy though. Yeah, unfortunately, right. that you know that kind of thing, human trophies and stuff like that from mm. from American Indians was not that uncommon at that time at all. And that was Actually, the day that they officially renamed Deadwood Crazy Town. 
<laughs> Actually, I, speaking of that, though, human trophies, I have heard a podcast before where they had found a dead uh, man, like a, from Africa, like a pygmy, and they had stuffed him, and they had him on display for years, and like, probably just, it was, I think it was up on display until very recently, and then they were like, this, this is wrong, you have to take this down. Oh. <laughs> He's, this is a stuffed human person. Gross. <laughs> they, yeah. they did do stuff like that with, yeah. uh, with native peoples. Like the scalps? Well, no. There's a whole lot of, I mean, there was that kind of displaying in museums and stuff. Um, the Nanook of the North thing was, they actually had native peoples that were attached to, like, the Museum of Natural History and stuff like that, that, you know, they were, it, it was not, it was not good. No. And as far as the human trophies go, you would end up with, like, I'm trying to remember, some of the criminals and stuff, even into the 20th century, early 20th century, you would have some famous criminal like um, Billy the Kid. When they were dead, there would be like displays of whatever body parts of his they could get, and they would send oh, wow. it like a tour and have a display in Denver, and wow. people would pay to come see. Yeah, we we have not always been such a uh, civilized country. <laughs> yeah. Well, after the craziness of the thoroughfare, Seth and Jane go into the number 10 saloon, and that's when Wild Bill slumps to the floor. Rest in peace, Wild Bill. Hmm. Right, well, that was the episode. Last time you made your body count predictions, nobody got it on the money. Nobody said one. Uh Carol said zero. Matt and Mel said two. Uh, For some reason, I thought I said one. (laughs) I'm always so close. (laughs) I thought I said zero, then I was like, oh, Bill dies. This is the one where Bill dies. Okay. I never remember what I said previously. <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually say everybody. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're waiting for that apocalypse. Yeah. Well, now there's plague in the in the town, so you yes. might get it now. Well, yeah. It won't happen yeah. that fast, though, I don't think. What did you just say? She said she doesn't think it'll happen that fast. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. It takes a while for plague to spread around. <laughs> Two episodes from now. <laughs> Well, you, you've made some specific predictions. Carol predicted Brahms' funeral. Yep. Nope. 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 Matt predicted that Al will make a move against the Bella Union and that Bill would slide into further vices during Charlie's absence. It kind of uh, The first didn't happen. The second... He just accepted all of his vices. He's like, I'm not even going to try to pretend I'm not going to do this. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't seem to slide further. Yeah, he no. just he just accepted kept it. Playing, kept playing poker. Yeah. Mel thought that Alma would have a sex change operation for the purpose of acquiring her claim. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. And then, I don't know, maybe change back and they would say, here was a man. That was a man. <laughs> Where did he go? Yeah. There was a guy here named Albert. <laughs> and now Alma's here. <laughs> uh, Mel cracks herself up. a time machine for that one. I'm not sure. Also, you thought that maybe the Reverend would narrate a nonstop funeral and people would die of boredom. (laughs) Was the Reverend even in the episode? Guys, I'm actually high on I'm actually high on laudanum every time I (laughs) I'm on this podcast, so that's that explains it. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I did procure myself (laughs) some laudanum the other day, so Okay, let's get into some feedback. First bit of feedback is from Nutty. Uh, 
okay. Cocksucker! Mother cocksucker! That's what I screamed at my computer at, as this episode ended. I knew Bill was near the end of his life, but I didn't think he'd leave the show in the fourth fucking episode. What the hell? I love Keith Carradine as Bill. I kept thinking, okay, this bullet just grazed him. He can't really be dead. I almost had hope when Bullock finds him and there's some twitching, but then he falls. And fuck. As I was watching the episode, I didn't think it felt like a full episode. Just a lot of stuff happening. And then that ending sent all the, all thoughts of the show out of my mind. Yeah, there was subtlety going on and some character development. I like how the, the one dealer wanted to buy Jack's gun from him knowing he was going to end up no good. But damn, I didn't think it'd go down like that. I had vague rec- recollections that w- Wild Bill ended his life in a lame way, not fitting to his legend, but wasn't that the way with all the big names in the West. Billy the Kid was killed in a latrine, after all, or was he? We all saw Young Guns, too. <laughs> Still, I didn't think Deadwood would Sean Bean us like this. I should have known. Alma's story is cool. I can't wait to see where that goes. I see I was kind of right in thinking her marriage to the dude wasn't her choice. I hope she gets over the guilt of of hoping he dies fast. I hope she and Jane raise a little squarehead kid together and have a Boston marriage or something. Or maybe that will be my fanfic. <laughs> Jane and Bill were cute together, though I wonder if her, damn, why didn't you tell me owe oh, you another penny, is because why didn't Bill tell her he was married, or why didn't he say he was writing to his wife and needed privacy? I think she knew. Yeah, she probably knew. She, Everybody knew. Yeah. Not sure who Mr. Boyle is at the gem. That confuses me a little. I'm assuming he's got a wound that is infected? Something like that? I don't know. I think she's talking about Andy at the Bella yeah. Union. Yeah. I don't think he's injured. No. Uh, Al is as gross as ever. Poor Trixie. <laughs> I like how Trixie tells Dan not to mess with Ellsworth. I kind of think Ellsworth is dumb for even saying he knew anything. But at the same time, maybe he's better off this way. I don't know. Jim Beaver better not leave the show. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the person riding in with a native head is gross, and I can only imagine is setting off a whole other can of worms that will make towns that will make towns scary. <laughs> it will make towns scary. <laughs> Still, damn, fuck you, Deadwood. <laughs> I think she's just upset. That's why she's not including certain <laughs> words. <laughs> she's irate. <laughs> I don't have time to type. I'm mad. I have to read a lot of uh, customer emails at work, and I find the angrier they are, the more their grammar goes downhill. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't last episode she wanted to write fanfic between Jane and Trixie? I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Was it Alma and Alma and Trixie? Yeah. It was Alma and Trixie. Yeah, because they they shared a a glance. A lingering look over the the balconies. (laughs) I like the relationship with Alma and Jane. I hope that does, um, we do see more of that. I just like Elma, period. I just find her fascinating. Yeah. And Jane, too. I love all the female characters. I, we haven't got to see too much of Trixie and Joni yet, but we will. Yeah, they're all growing on me. At first, oh. I was like, I don't know, but now they're growing on me. Mm. Well, now that Bill is dead, do you think that Jane's going to get kicked out of the uh, hotel? Uh, why would she? She's only there because Bill was there, and he insisted. Oh, what? Oh. Well, if she can pay, maybe, I don't know. I, I think once you're someplace, it, it would be kind of weird for them to kick her out. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. She's still caring for a child. I mean, how do you kick a child and its caretaker out of the hotel if she's paying? Mm. I, stay there. I don't think I don't. anybody would care if the, he did. You know, it's not like 
he needs to have a reputation, a good reputation or something in that place. But yeah, they care about the child, not about her. That's my thinking. At least there's an appearance there of E.B. Be- could become the most hated man in town because he kicked out Jane. As much as they don't like Jane, just the idea of a woman caring for a child and then you kick her out, appalling. Anyway, here's some feedback from Will. Yay. By the way, thank you, Nutty. Hello, Hoopleheads. This is Will. I just got finished watching what There Was a Man or Here Was a Man. And I wrote some notes down. I noticed this was written by Elizabeth Sarnoff. She's awesome. My memory of this show isn't you know, great. I only watched it through once, and that was close to 10 years ago. I don't remember... What's his name? Brom Garrett even being on the show at all. So he lasted longer on the show than I thought he would, considering I couldn't remember him at all. But I'm sure we'll come across other characters I don't remember. Uh, Lubricants. <laughs> I love Joni. Uh, Kim Dickens was on a very underrated show on HBO called Treme. She was awesome on that show. If you get a chance, you should check it out. See, Seth Montana, he actually smiled when he was talking to Bill, and it was a very strange and creepy smell. I just kept saying, stop smiling. You're creeping me out. <laughs> but Bullock does look good with his shirt off. I will say that. <laughs> Very good. I wrote down slimy, limey cocksucker. I guess that's Isles. I think that's what Jane called Isles. It's so funny to see Jane talk to Bill and how she gets all flustered sometimes. It was great seeing um, Wild Bill and Al do a scene together, even if we don't get to see any more. Just those two standing off and listening to Al explain everything to Bill. It was just beautiful, just beautiful words and language and stuff like that. Jack is racist and obnoxious. Uh, Ellsworth told Dan everything he knew. Was that stupid or was he just trying to make sure he was safe just in case Dan saw him? Maybe he shouldn't have said anything. Al and Trixie, bros, very gross. Um, this whole episode kind of seemed like a Bill Hickok death episode. Kind of got to be a hero a little bit. You got to see everybody like him before he died. He gave some good advice to Widow Garrett. I don't think I knew about Bill Hickok's history when I first saw this episode. So it was really shocking to see, you know, main character die in the fourth episode. And, you know, that's what we like in TV these days. We want to be shocked. We don't want everything to be predictable. So this episode is like that finger you weren't expecting, <laughs> a place you weren't expecting. And at first you're like, what the fuck is this? But then you're like, oh, I kind of like that. <laughs> So, I'll talk to you guys later. I need to fuck something. <laughs> Bye. Uh, no, no, go sticking fingers uh, oh. in any holes you're not familiar with. <laughs> uh, so great. Will, your feedback does not disappoint. <laughs> Ooh, I just like that part. Ooh, that was kind of nice. <laughs> uh, Where'd that come from? I didn't say stop. <laughs> <laughs> Harold, would you like to read this one from Ina? Sure. Hi, Hooplecast. This was a tremendous episode, and I've got the chills from seeing Wild Bill gunned down and all the people reacting to it. Shocking, devastating, and upsetting. Poor Jane. The first time I watched this, I was surprised that they would kill off such a good, charismatic character four episodes into the series. I didn't know my Deadwood history then, and this is supposedly what really happened on his fourth day in camp. 
even the fact that he sat with his back to the door, as if he'd already knew what would happen and didn't care. Rest in peace, Wild Bill Hickok. The speech he gave to Alma about listening to the thunder is one of my favorite scenes on television ever. I like that Alma is waking up from her drug state and is becoming friendly with Hickok, Jane, and the little girl. Even if her husband got a tragic end she, and she would be wise to leave, I hope she stays and causes trouble for Al and E.B. Fantastic stuff. I give it 10 out of 10 rolls of thunder. Thanks, Ina. Thank you, Ina. Thank you, Ina. Here is some audio feedback from Stephanie. Hello, Hooplecast. This is Stephanie. I watched uh, Here Was a Man. I just, why would Wild Bill Hickok sit with his back towards the door? Unless he was given up. He wrote a letter to his wife. I'm, I mean, I don't, either, that, the letter to his wife could be a, um, a device in the plot for us to feel more sorry for when he does die. Or it was, or he was writing a letter to his wife saying goodbye. That's what I, I figure it was. But, um, let's see. Oh, I mean, it was not, that was very nice that we saw Hickok give over responsibility of Mrs. Garrett to Bullock, you know, after, I, I don't know. I think Hickok planned his death. Um, that's all I have to say. Have a good show. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> oh, she sounds like she's a morning. <laughs> Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people feel like, I mean, at the time and afterwards, it seems like Bill basically create, you know, committed suicide by by just sitting with his back to the door. It's, it's a kind of sad commentary on your life if that's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. Mel, would you read this one from Emily, please? Yes, I will. Hey, Hooplecast, I'm back. And how could I not be after getting called out on the Facebook page this week? <laughs> <laughs> My only note from last episode is, Al said Hoopleheads! Al said Hoopleheads! No doubt, talked about last time, but I haven't listened yet. Hey, you haven't listened to us? <laughs> Get on that, you. Oh, she's, Mel's calling you out again, Emily. <laughs> um, okay, once again, I'll share my stray thoughts while watching. Why has no one shot that loud mouth yet? That probably will happen. Um, EB needs to use some of that $2,000 to buy himself a new suit. Getting ragged, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Am I supposed to know who these Pinkertons are? Didn't we discuss this last episode? Emily. (laughs) You have to listen. Yeah, but she hasn't listened yet. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's something I might... Oh, sorry. Uh, No, I'm saying, was it the last episode or was it the episode before that that we discussed it? Seems like a while ago, Emily. Sorry. Maybe. I think I think it was last episode. Okay. Because ta- I talked about the Pickertons after Brom threatened Al the second time. Mm, okay. And that's when Al said, make it look like an accident. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's something I might have missed in history class. The only Pinkerton I know is the Weezer album. I like Jane. Do the pigs crunch up the bones, too? What happens there? Yep. Was she talking about the, when uh, Jack was at the quote-unquote restaurant? Or what? what's that in reference to? Oh, she's talking about Woo's pigs from the previous episodes. Oh, pigs. just the previous episode. Because I didn't see the pigs in this episode, so... Yeah. Eating bodies. Pigs will eat anything. Yes. Well, Ellsworth mentioned them. He said he didn't wind up in Woo's... Uh, oh, ah, yes. yes. Yeah. They probably do eat everything. Yeah. I can't see yeah, pigs. I don't think they're too picky. No. Yeah. Strong teeth. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Scary. 
I can't place the top hat poker player. I know I know him. While I'm at it, I can't place Al's sometimes bartender, sometimes thug. I'm too scared to go on IMDb, but it's killing me. Knowing, know that the sacrifice I make to stay an unspoiled newbie are great. <laughs> All Jane is thinking. All right, lady. I really came in here just for you to feel her cool forehead. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're getting my life story. <laughs> Sit down, I'm monologuing. Yes. Uh, maybe I just thought that Top Hat looked like Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> wow, I think someone's going to shoot him now. Or the gallows, more like. Unless Jane gets to him first. Mm. Me thinks Captain Kangaroo should have worked harder at getting Jack to bet that last gun. <laughs> okay, so I was going to say before the last few minutes of that episode that this show is good and keeps my interest while watching but still isn't wowing me to compel me to watch the next episode. My tune has changed. Oh, so it is... Okay. I give it an 8 out of 10 Pinkertons buzzing into town. Finally got the rating system down. <laughs> that, that 20 last time was an error I'm blaming on iPhone emails sent on a road trip. <laughs> Emily from the Utah th Territories. P.S. Hope the Pony Express was fast enough to get this to you on time. Are we still in Pony Express times? If not, then I have no excuse. <laughs> Sent from her iPad. <laughs> her iPad that was riding on top of a pony. <laughs> Apparently. I just want, I, aw, I just want, like, people to, like, put iPads into a saddlebag on a horse and then just send the horse off. <laughs> Go! Send my message away! <laughs> so does the Pony Express still exist in some form, the way that the Pinkerton Company does? I don't think so. I think it only lasted one year. Yeah, I I think it was owned by a company, though. I'm not sure whether they still exist or not. The United States Postal Service has trademarked Pony Express. Yeah, it existed from 1860 to 1861. The Pony Express route has been designated the Pony Express National Historic Trail, approximately 120 historic sites along the trail may eventually be open to the public, including 50 stations or station ruins. Well, okay. Oh. All right. Thank you for the feedback, everyone. Thank you, Emily, Ina, Nutty, Stephanie, and Will. Thank you. Time to rate this thing. Harold, give us your rating. I, I thought this was uh, this is a pretty major episode, and, and uh, yeah, all the episodes of Deadwood are really good. There, isn't any, uh, there aren't any bad ones. I'm going to give this one... Nine out of ten seats with the back to the door. Uh. Carol? Okay, I I enjoyed this episode a lot. As I said at the beginning, I am, I've got mixed emotions because I'm really glad that I don't have to worry about spoilers anymore on Wild Bill, but I'm really sorry to see Wild Bill go because he was a really interesting character. But I really did like the way they did kind of subtle goodbyes. I mean, he knew that Bill was on his way out, but it was still, they did a very nice job. So I'm going to, I've been debating, I'm going to go with the lower score, 8.5 out of 10, Cursed Poker Hands. Matt? Uh, as one of the only people, or maybe the only person who was genuinely surprised by the big event, I, I really enjoyed it. it. More than that, though, I'm excited about what impact it's going to have on Seth in the future. Because I feel like we haven't got that much from him since that first scene that we're, we've seen him. He hasn't done too much. But the episode was good. Uh, all the characters, I'm just 
enjoying getting to know them more and I'm loving all these scenes. Uh, this is my favorite one so far. I'm going to give it 9 out of 10 Pussy Boils. Mel, what's your rating? I This is like probably like a, a turning point kind of episode, I imagine. Um, I really liked it, mm, except I'm going to probably give it the same rating as last time. I think I gave the last one a 9, so I'm going to give it the same this one. Uh, 9 out of 10 Dismantled Titty Corners. <laughs> Oh, I forgot to mention the titty corner. I want I want Claire to draw a, a titty corner. <laughs> she just tits everywhere. I want her interpretation of what a titty corner looks like. It's a good rating. <laughs> I'm gonna say that I actually like this one less than the last one because I felt like the last one had more scenes with momentum. This one is a lot of Bill walking around talking to people, and Bill is not my favorite character, even though I really like Keith Carradine's. Depiction of him, I kind of find him too much of a sad sack. Yeah. <laughs> this episode was good for Alma, too, though. It was, but there. I know that there's better Alma stuff. So, Can't wait. I, I'm going to give this one a 9. No, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Chicken feet. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> As one confused person. <laughs> Harold, would you like to nominate your character of the week? Oh, it's... Definitely for me, Alma. Uh, everyone tells her to get out of town. Uh, she doesn't, and she knows right away that uh, something nefarious has happened to her husband, and she's not buying any of EB or anyone else's attempts to uh, you know, BS her. So she's my pick. Cool. Carol? Oh, it's a tough one. I, I agree with Harold on, on Alma, but I feel, like, I feel like this is just the beginning of us knowing Alma. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I feel like we finally are really, she's opening up and this is the end for Bill. So I feel like I have to go with Wild Bill just because, bye. Bye. Bye bye, Bill. Bye, Bill. Yeah. Mel? I think I agree with, uh, Carol. Bill. Bill, Bill. Sad Bill. Okay. Yeah. I, f- I feel no compulsion to give it to him out of pity. It's not, uh, it's not pity. I, th- I thought, <laughs> I thought he did a good job. Like <laughs> he just, did, but just, Alma was better. I give it to Alma. <clears throat> she was, yeah, she was good, but yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, it's his last chance to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I said about Brom last week. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Oh, I could, I could break the tie here. Yes, hmm. you can. You, the but I'm not, but I'm not going to because I'm going different direction. Oh, interesting. I'm gonna give it to the character that shook things up and changed the course of Deadwood forever, and I'm gonna give it to Jack McCall. <laughs> gross old, dirty Good. Jack. Gross old, jer- dirty Jack. I think. Yeah. I mean, he. People say that the show is just different after the fourth episode. It just kind of opens the floodgates to mm-hmm. all kinds of new stories and opportunities, mm-hmm. and really excited for what's going to come up. Mm-hmm. So. I'm going to say, you did that, Jack. As <laughs> gross and awful as you are, you I'm giving it to you. All In right. this place, an interesting place to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Crazy town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it was, you know, that when we were talking before about the fact that they changed it up a little bit in, the, in history and they had Seth come in a few days early so he could basically get to know Bill and then take this thing off. I think it was really smart of them. I agree. You know, now you've you've got Seth established with this history with Bill, and now, as somebody just said a minute ago, this is, looks like it's going to be the beginning of something interesting for Seth. I mean, it changes things for him. 
Oh, yeah, I thought it was a smart move. Yeah, if they're going to change history and deviate from history, this is the way to do it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Harold, as our guest, do you get the first quote? Okay, uh, this is a quote that upon reflection I think could, could be a motto for the United States of America. So it's from Bill. <laughs> it's, can you let me go to hell the way I want to? <laughs> yeah. Carol? Let's see. Okay. Bill Hickok, I'm flat out tired. Seth, turn in. I've got her covered. Bill Hawk Hickok, I believe I will. Mm-hmm. Mel? Dismantle the titty corner! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> How about a bath first? And a nap? And uh, some sex with an unfamiliar woman? <laughs> <laughs> Matt? Um, the slimy, limey cocksucker. <laughs> I like rhymes. I have an EB quote. Al, watching you, even at a distance, was a pleasure and a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was nice. Oh, sh- such a psycho. All right, now it's a free-for-all if anyone has anything else. <laughs> I've got the doctor. Of course, if little pussy sores rise up on his trunk and his face, more likely he's got other trouble. <laughs> Bill Haycock, your husband and me had this talk, and I told him to head home to avoid a dark result, but I didn't say it in thunder. Ma'am, listen to the thunder. Mm. I have Lou re- regarding Jack McCall. He too is God's handiwork. Yes! <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Come on, Matt H. I know there's one from Al that um, I'm dying to hear you say. <laughs> I didn't write it. Mel has one, I could say. <laughs> Might be the same one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that is the same one. <laughs> <laughs> I need to fuck something. Trixie! <laughs> uh, Matt, that sounded appropriately gross. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got my phlegm sorted out. <laughs> Well, if there are no other quotes, next episode is episode five, The Trial of Jack McCall. Oh, that's the name of it? That's the name of it. What do you think it's about? Gee, Mm. I don't know. It's not very descriptive. (laughs) No. I'm going to predict it's not not a proper trial. It's more of a lynch mob thing. And Seth is going to be hesitant about a lynch mob, and he's going to want proper order to the, the proceedings. You, you, you mean he's going to hang him himself? Like <laughs> Maybe the in the end. Guy? Maybe in the end, after <laughs> a fair trial. <laughs> right. And you have a body count prediction, Matt? Yes. How many bodies were in the first episode? Eight? Eight. I'm going to predict we never go over eight. Okay. Yeah, that's, you know, that's my prediction. <laughs> um, I'm going to say three next time. Jack, the guy who's sick, and a rando. A rando? Okay. A rando. <laughs> <laughs> right, Mel. Oh, I. I mean, he hesitates to ask. I feel like I feel. Oh, what? Do you not like my predictions? <laughs> you don't like her high predictions. <laughs> I I really don't feel like I can go crazy with this one. Put the I laudanum think, down. <laughs> I, I I'm. It's. It, oh, all right, fine. It's gonna be. He just, says as he takes he, a drink of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> just Judy, Matt. Why did you encourage me? <laughs> it's gonna. <laughs> gonna be Judge Judy. <laughs> She's gonna show up to town. <laughs> and then ju- Judge Earl Brown or whatever. This is yours, man, not mine. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs>
There's Joe Brown. Can we Joe get a, a TV court, courtroom trial? Yes, a TV courtroom. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. Matt, what Mur ha Matt Murdock will, will be the lawyer. Sure. No. It now give your real prediction. <laughs> yes, if you will just shut up. Thank you. Hi, Laudanum. <laughs> Matt, I think Matt took a swig of Laudanum. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I can't, I don't feel like I can go as crazy with this one because it's so descriptive. I mean, it's gonna be a trial. Jack McCall's gonna be tried. He's probably gonna get killed. Somehow. One person is gonna die. That dude is sick. You think he'll, you don't think the sick dude will die next episode? He'll survive? He might survive. I don't know. I don't know! My, my, the prediction for my, the next episode is it's going to be, uh, there's gonna, a fog is going to go through the town and nobody's gonna know what's happening. We're just gonna hear voices coming out of the fog. <laughs> <laughs> is it like the fog from The Simpsons where it turns people inside out? Yes. <laughs> the fog's gonna disappear and everybody's gonna be inside out and the doctor's gonna have to fix it. <laughs> he's gonna be the only one that didn't affect. Cause he's got all the, the ointments and stuff. He's <laughs> just rubbed ointment all over himself and he was fine. Alright. Yes. Carol? Also, that means the whole town is pretty much screwed. But you're going to say one death? <laughs> one death. And one another death. apocalypse. <laughs> one okay. death. And I, I want Mel to become a showrunner. <laughs> one death and a potential <laughs> apocalypse for this episode after. Carol, what's going to happen in the trial of Jack McCall? <laughs> well, I don't think it can be a forthright trial, but I don't know if I should point out, that since we saw a picture of him, he's going to have to survive. Because I'm sure that he never had a picture of him taken before he killed Wild Bill Hickok. He could have. I think many people had pictures taken. It was his yearbook picture. <laughs> he graduated when he was in his mid-30s, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like 24 or something when he killed Wild Bill. But I, I don't know if anybody would take a fancy picture uh, of a guy that killed Wild Bill. Like, that seemed to be quite a fancy picture. Yeah, I, th I think, it, like, after photographs were invented, you know, everybody was into it. They're like, oh, let's take a picture, you know. But in the picture, he did not look 24. Mm. But maybe people looked older than maybe. faster. Because, I mean, Wild Bill, well... A lot of did, people did didn't look, look like he was 39. Yeah, a lot of people did look... People aged pretty quickly back yeah. then. They really did. Yeah. Um, I was going to say three, but I'm going to go with two uh, deaths. And I have no idea who, but I'm um, just... Off the top of my head, I've been wrong every time so far, so I may as well continue my streak. Hey, wait a minute. What? Matt, didn't you say there was just one one death this episode? Wasn't there? What about the native person? Oh, oh that's shit! When? <laughs> that's a very good point. I guess. Oh, Except yeah. we don't know. We don't know when it ha when the head was taken. Don't Look refreshed to me. We didn't see the death. Hey, that, was, we didn't is this gonna, is this gonna, I'll let you guys take a vote. Does it count or not? Yeah, it yeah. counts. You, you it know counts, alright. We didn't see the death of the, um, Swedish family either. We just heard about it. But we saw them alive and then dead. Right. So we know, we knew that it happened within that span, yes, whereas the Indian head, we don't know when that happened. Yeah, but you said historically the blood was still dripping out of the head. Mm. That's all right. true. <laughs> okay. That's true. I'll count it. Yeah. Matt and Mel, you each get a, a point because you both said two. Alright. Um, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I'm going to go with two next time just because, and, uh, I really don't know what's going to happen, um, other than there's going to be some kind of trial, 
So Jack McCall, guilty, not guilty, or mistrial, or something else? What's the prediction? It's hard to see how he could be not guilty. I mean, when I, everybody saw him come running in and just shoot the guy in the back. Maybe he tripped and his gun just went off. Yeah, right. And as he screamed, take this. You are a good lawyer, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you tend to say that as you're falling. Yeah, I was going to predict some slimy lawyer shenanigans. <laughs> uh... I'm going to say it's going to be like a Christmas carol, and it's a metaphorical trial in Jack's head where the ghosts of his past show up and put him on trial in his head. <laughs> I had also thought in terms of, does, does it say the trial or the trials? The trial of Jack McCall. Trial. Singular. Uh, because, I mean, you can have, you know, a trial can be mean other things than be, uh, it's a legal thing. I mean, you can have a, you know, trials and tribulations type thing. And it's like, oh, poor Jack. Now, I, w I just want to see Jack McCall walking off into the the road with the sad Incredible Hulk music. <laughs> uh, I screwed up my chances in this town. Off to the next one. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Sorry, we just watched the trial of the Incredible Hulk, so that's why. <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to. There's going to be some kind of uh, um, people judging what to do with this guy, how he isn't hung or whatever, I don't know, other than if he can convince people that he's a hero for killing somebody who who had uh, killed a lot of other people. Well, we will find out in two weeks. Two weeks? Two weeks. Oh, no. Well, you actually, well, I mean, of course, you can go watch it right now if you really <laughs> wanted to, but. <laughs> Although I need to uh, to watch Freaks and Geeks. Because Harold and I are, are recording... Are you uh, recording another episode? We no. are. This oh, wow, you guys got your mojo back. That's right. I, I think it's pretty fun that I'm a regular on two different podcasts that are recording today, and Harold is the guest on both of them. Nice. So Harold and I have a full day ahead of us, but... Yeah, totally I, was, I was originally supposed yeah. to be on, I think, sometime in May, but you know, they keep on continuing it. That's my snarky McKinley cast comment for the night. Hey! <laughs> Yeah, I was I was wondering if we were going to finish our show before we finish theirs, despite having twice as many episodes and getting a late start. But I don't know. I, this is like the third one in like three or four weeks, so very good. I, I've been listening to The Garage Door. Uh, I, actually, I skipped past the Freaks and Geeks to the end when you guys were just talking, and I'm, I was enjoying your discussion of random things quite a lot. <laughs> Harold, when you're on there, make sure to plug us, okay? Say, hey, you, if you want to hear more of Harold, you can hear me on Hooplecast episode 4, Here Was a Man. If I if I recall correctly, uh, Emily was talking about Hooplecast and watching Deadwood on uh, this week's McKinleycast. Uh, am I correct? She, I think she did, yes. And also on her Yes Mother podcast. And I do mention Hooplecast every, every time we record. Here you go. Well, Harold, where else other than that McKinley cast episode, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm on uh, all the social media if you really want to find me, uh, Twitter, Facebook. I was on this week's uh, Clone Dance Party discussing uh, episode two uh, or season two, episode four of uh, Orphan Black, the one with the infamous shower scene at the end, if you know which one I'm talking about. I do know which one. Okay, cool. Anyone else want to plug anything? Uh, Twin Peaks podcast, um, Defenders podcast, uh, I'm good. Cool. Terminator? Oh, jeez. Ah, what We Make podcast. <laughs> Terminator podcast. 
I was I'll plug Intro to X. I was on a season six episode Dreamland Part Two, and I got to be on Potential Cast talking about season seven episode Him, which was just released. So yeah. How'd you get on Potential Cast? Their guest slots filled up like five years ago. <laughs> I know, that's what they keep saying. <laughs> They're like people give up or die <laughs> off. I don't know. But I got asked and I it was last minute, so I'll, I used all of Robin's trivia. Because <laughs> I had none of my own. <laughs> You're probably wearing a mystical jacket or something. Yeah. It's not a great episode, but it's okay. I was actually surprised because I listened to their commentary and they laughed a lot in the commentary. And then when they went to record the the discussion. It was like, eh, whatever. They're like, they they do that every time. <laughs> eh, whatever. Eh, really? Whatever. They don't care too much for it? No, uh, sometimes. Alright. I think I rated it a 7. Not my favorite episode. But anyway, go track down Potential Cast. Thanks for joining us today, Harold. Yes, thank, thank you. you for having me. It was, it was great to finally talk to you and to get your perspective on this monumental episode. That's a, that's a major one. And if you want to find our back episodes or show notes or contact information, links to discussions, hooplecast.com. Send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com, Twitter at hooplecast. We have a Facebook page, search for hooplecast. Otherwise, we will see you later for episode five, The Trial of Jack McCall. Goodbye. Fog is swallowing me at this very moment. <laughs> what? What's happening? I'm ter- being turned inside out. <laughs> It's actually, oh. it just tickles. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Matt. Fuck you. <laughs> Are you varying your, your fuck yous? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get stale. <laughs> you don't want, you don't want to, Oh. <laughs> you want people to be surprised at the end. Yes, it's true. Gonna be like, here it comes, here it comes. Oh, wow, he switched it up. <laughs> next, time, next time you should pretend that you're terrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrified, fuck you next Yes, time. please. <laughs> Think about it. You have okay. two weeks. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
still was all he had Six foot three, the tall prince of the frog He let his blonde hair flow down behind Two ivory-handled pistols at his side As they built a legend around his head They stared at him like the son of God come down And that usually meant a good night on the town Agnes Lake was a beauty, so they say With Bill and old Cheyenne He soon won her hand Nearly blind He married her that spring Their love Like the fragrant blossoms grew Deep inside she knew Don't go Bill She cried And he told her that he wouldn't But he lied Fortune in the black Dakota hills Where a reputation keeps a man alive She never saw that man again alive Jack McCall's a drifter and a bum He shot Bill in the back of the head He says he needs a dead man's hand The legend and the man are not the same Still is I will say that on the commentary, Molly Parker said something like, nothing wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's actually, that's, that's my son's build and his dad's build. So. Um, the, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On Supernatural, there was a, a comment on one of the DVDs that said that, um, there came a point with, uh, with the guys, I think it was Jared Padalecki first, that, um, it, it came down from higher ups that they didn't have to shave his chest hair anymore because they're grown ups and what the hell. And <laughs> they were able to. Stop doing that, and he, you know, the the guys were allowed to have chest hair from then on. They were just tired of fighting with the that tangly chest hair. They were just like, no, no thanks, <laughs> just leave it. <laughs> too much, too much hassle. It's so bizarre to me what television shows and networks think that audiences want to see, I, or yeah. like we can't see short people on television. We, they have to be put on boxes. To, yeah, it's like there are people of different heights and builds and sizes and hair patterns. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but some, some people are just really judgy. Yeah, some of the short, tall thing is just a, a the fact that they want to get them both in the frame, and it's really hard to do a close up if one of them is a foot taller than the other one. So mm. they have to bring but take it take it from a short person. It's not desirable to be short <laughs> <laughs> in the eyes of others. I remember in uh, junior high there was an R and B song all about not wanting a short man. <laughs> And they, they, every time they played that, I just shrunk into the corner in the yeah. shadows. At the school at, dance? At the school dances. <laughs> you know, they do such a number on, on 
people. And it's so ridiculous because once you get to be older, you know, I mean, some people are still like that, but yeah, but it shouldn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Well, back to the episode. Yes, I have a point about um. Harold, do you watch like lawyer shows and get like get annoyed and? No, I don't. Uh, I I think I pretty much quit when I became a practicing attorney, and I deal with that uh, every day, all the misery in court. And I just, I don't know, I just, I I see enough of that during the day. I'd rather see something else. So I take it you don't watch Better Call Saul either. (laughs) Oh, that's that's an exception. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty. Yeah, there's always one exception that breaks the rule. Yes. I've I've generally found that people go either one direction or the other on that. They either don't want to see shows that have anything to do with their own profession, or they've got to see every one that comes out that has to do with their profession, and then just you know either pick it apart or or like it a lot. You know, it was funny. I, I did a uh, jury trial a couple of weeks ago, and the uh, prosecutor when we were doing the jury selection, they're asking everyone what was their favorite show, and uh, uh, when we were in, in back with the judge, I said it's a good thing no one. No one picked Better Call Saul. That'd be bad for me. <laughs> bad for the defense. What were some of the programs that people said? A lot of people liked Empire, which I have not okay. seen. Yeah, I haven't I seen that either. Not either. Hmm. I, sh- that's the one that's I don't. Yeah, I know it's very like hip hop R and B infused. I don't know if I would like it for that reason. Yeah, it's not my genre. Well, yeah, I don't really care as long as it's got a good story. So I, I uh, may try it out. I don't know. There's only so many hours in the day. That's my problem. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many TV shows you can watch. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Fortunately, they're all going the shorter seasons now, which is very convenient. Of course, now there's more things to watch, but yeah. well, I guess it balances out in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where were we? Yeah. Top Hat looked like Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> I don't know what Captain Kangaroo looks like. What? He's a kangaroo that drives a tugboat. No. No. Yes. No. No. <laughs> you guys are weird. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> I don't know. Are you are you playing on my Canadianness and the fact I, that I don't know about this? It's an old it might, I know, TV show. I know it is. Ask I just them if they know what the friendly giant looks like. Oh yeah. Do you guys know what the friendly giant looks like? No. I think so. Yeah. He's like ten feet tall. No, he's not. Because <laughs> he's too young, I don't know. But Emily is also young, so I'm I'm guessing, I don't know. It's, I, I am old enough to have seen Captain Kangaroo back in the day when he was on uh, early morning TV. That was probably 60s and early 70s. Yeah, me too. Did he wear a top hat? Because I can't find a picture of him that, where he's wearing a top I can't, hat. No, I, I don't remember a hat. Unless it was a bowler. Might have been a, he mostly just, I remember he had the uh, the big mop big of uh, blonde hair. Yeah, he had he had... Big eyebrows and big mustache. And oh my God! He's the hair. What? I've n- I knew. Who- I knew about K- Captain Kangaroo, but I've just never seen him. Oh, that's ridiculous! His hair. Yeah, it, there's no top hat though. I don't think his hair blends seamlessly with his uh, sideburns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Disturbing. Anyway, here's a pic- here's a link to a picture. At the risk of making the email scroll all the way to the bottom. Hold on. Oops, that didn't post. He's kind of wearing a hat in this. Let's see which picture. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. he literally drives a tugboat. No, no. Oh. I made that part oh, okay. up. Okay. His friend was Mr. Topic? Green Beans or, or Green Jeans. Green Jeans. Green Jeans. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Green Jeans. I don't. You guys are just messing with me. 
Don't you have a dog that like roams around? Yes, we do. In Canada, it's called, what's like, it called? The littlest hobo. The little hobo. Yeah. Oh yes, the little hobo. The littlest, littlest hobo. hobo. So, I think Captain oh. Kangaroo had dancing beer. He had a dancing. Oh, I take it. Mm, I don't know. No, I think I take a dog, a hobo dog, over a dancing bear. Oh, a lot of I like children. The bear would get out of control. Yeah, a lot of children's shows were fairly local anyway. So I mean, you know, something that was big in Canada would not necessarily have been big in the New York metropolitan area or something. But I think Captain Kangaroo was national, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Cap- so. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in New York, too, though, so... Oh, okay. Uh, I, th- I think it was well-known all over the country. It was, okay, it was, it was so... It show. Yeah. When I grew up, we only had four channels. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Nah, and, and it was mostly Canadian programming because, you know, it's just the way it is in Canada. It was very regulated, unless you had cable TV which my family didn't have, so. Yeah, we, Harold and I didn't, were before cable TV. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, New York was an unusual market. I think we had six stations. We had the three networks, three locals, and uh, PBS, and that was more than most towns. We had two, four, seven, were ABC, NBC, CBS, and then five, nine, 11, and 13. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, I, seven, I grew up seven. without having cable for a very long time. Did you? Yeah. We only had like six channels, and you had to turn the dial. And yeah. Yep. You had a big antenna. I used to climb up it to go onto the roof. Yep. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I remember the rabbit ears. I remember having a course, black and white TV too. Yep. Kids these days are all about Johnny Karate Super Awesome Musical Explosion Show. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely made that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first heard. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I really thought that one was made up. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. When I don't remember when somebody said that to me, I was like, "What? <laughs> no way, that's real." <laughs> that's kidding me. Heroes on a half shell. Turtle power. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. So back to Emily's yes, email. <laughs> yeah. Nine out of ten pussy boils. Mm. Although I don't know how to spell pussy, does anyone know how how to spell pussy? Matt spelled it pussy. <laughs> Nine out of ten pussy boils. <laughs> oh, gross. That might be accurate, though. I'm sure that happens. Maybe. There's a lot of. How do you spell pussy? Does anyone? There's know? a lot of unprotected sex going on, so puss- pussy boils is very likely. <laughs> I would think it's spelled the same way. It's probably a homophone. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Gross. It's very hard to to bing without getting weird results. <laughs> it's it's very very hard. Oh, I hope you didn't actually do that, Matt. Did you bing it? I kind of did. <laughs> I need those Amazon points. Don't bing. I gotta get those points, <laughs> Matt. Don't bing the pussy balls. <laughs> don't click images. Don't bing them. <laughs> it's not. Gotta get my points. I'm up to seven hundred and sixty three this month. This mm. is one that's very very hard to to get any information. I'll let you guys go because you, you got another podcast to do. Not me. I already did my other one. <laughs> you did one this morning. Yeah, Defenders. Incredible. What is, Hulk. What is there to talk about? It hasn't it, come out yet. The, the trial, trial of the Incredible, Incredible Hulk. Hulk. It's the first appearance of Daredevil on uh, live action. Oh. Is that streaming anywhere? Uh, no. But Robin can give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask Robin. He's uh, he'll provide. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what's what's he on trial for? Um. Oh, like some ruckus in a subway where he tried to save a lady and 
I don't know. He just destroyed a subway and some innocent bystander got shot and stuff. <laughs> Did he stay oh. in Hulk form the whole time during the trial? <laughs> no. You, you got, yeah. There actually there is no trial except for in a dream sequence. Oh, yes. And uh right. it's it's Stan Lee's first on screen cameo. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's eighty nine, I think it's from. But it looks way older. Yeah. It 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 I think it was shot in Canada and you can tell. <laughs> Is all I'll say. <laughs> when did that show run? Because I remember watching it as a kid, which had to be in the late seventies or early eighties. Yeah, the original, the original TV series. Yeah, I know this, this was this was after the fact. Are we talking about Bill Bixby TV series or an animated? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby. Yeah. So it was the, this was an episode of of the series? Yeah, it was, was a TV, TV movie. movie. The it was like after the fact. Yeah, mm. the series was over. But it's the same. Yeah, it's the same. It's, you know, it's the same universe as the TV series, you know, Lou Ferrigno is the Hulk and stuff. Well, I suppose even if his original intention was to help, if he made the situation worse, it would be mm-hmm. like some kind of... It was... Nobody it was, died, though, so it's not like you could say it was, like, manslaughter or anything. I, I've, I've had some bad clients, but thank God I've never had the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> he picks up the entire jury stand. He picks up the entire jury stand and flips it over. <laughs> that would be bad news. <laughs> And he, th- he throws a bailiff by his penis. <laughs> well, now I do have to watch this. <laughs> uh, Matt, you made it sound like he's like swinging his fist. <laughs> yeah. No, he lifts him over his head by like his shirt cuff and his penis. <laughs> he just got a handful of penises as you lifted him up. <laughs> oh, awful. <laughs> You're, you're walking fucking cunt with your cunt, your eye, it's like moving. 